I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palzola, Sam Monson. I don't know if my cough ended up carrying through to the audio. It's a very fuzzy gray area, that whole intro area, you know, where it fades in and we come in. So it was right on the border. I actually cough my lungs out right before we get on the air uh-huh. and try to hide it. I don't know. So it may, it may have blended right onto the show here today. Could, could have. So I apologize if that's the case, but it's Mock Draft Monday. Happy Mock Draft Monday. We're live here on YouTube, Steve Palzola, Sam Monson, and that's my mock today. Yeah. You want to? So you do one. Between now and I the draft, maybe. you should do one. Yeah, I think I'm down somewhere in the schedule on the the content, the written stuff. Um, I have no idea when it is though. Yeah, so I've uh, I've told our editing team, hey, I will write one, but I don't want to write it. So I'm gonna have them. I'm gonna have someone dictate my mock draft from here on the show onto the website. Okay. And there's a whole lot of caveats that I need to put up there right up front before we start. Is this the, uh, I mean, people have been asking in the chat for a model mock. Um, I can't give away mock. the entire model. I was, uh, there's, it's model influenced. Model influenced. It's model influenced. Model adjacent? I, model adjacent, I would say. It's not, um, and, and the model is real. I have, I have run numbers and the, there are uh, model percentiles, draft percentiles. Uh, yeah, what's the, you know, the Cliff Notes description of the model for people that are, yeah, yeah, people yeah, think fine. it's just a joke. It's not a joke, but um, I've taken a whole bunch of uh, production-based variables and combine pro day variables and essentially mapped them to our wins above replacement metric. Okay. And done this at a position by position. Done this by position. Um, and then essentially said, okay, what are the percentage chances or, you know, that players within these percentiles actually hit, right, when they, when they get to the NFL? So when I say, hey, this guy is on my – don't draft or I'd let someone else draft him list, it's because the hit rate is marginal at best. Mm-hmm. Like 0% to become elite or 7% to become solid, something like that. 0% is not very marginal. That's just... That's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that's where the uh, the risk appetite comes in. You know, there's certain, uh, there's certain ways to slice and dice the data that says, you know, if you look at certain things, you might be able to, uh, you know, become a high-end player, but it's risky you, you know? should uh you should feed this mock draft that you're going to get done today into chat gpt and have it write a blurb for you for each person see what oh. see what comes out and fire that over to the editing team <laughs> mark I here, should. here's your here's your mock draft have fun <laughs> through the stylings of pff mm. write this in the stylings of steve and the model of pff yeah. steve uh, so that's the the model in a nutshell the other part and um you'll hear me lament this as we get through the mock draft there's a certain way, that, there's a certain style that I would implement as general manager. Um, and I don't think that this is my math, which is uh, limited. I don't think this is my math being special or anything. I think there is a style where if you only drafted players, let's say 70th, 80th percentile in whatever ranking system you use, and you stick to this rubric, and you are, you are not going to stray from that. I feel like your hit rate would go through the roof. 
And uh, I did do, we did a show on this last year. I tested it. If I went back and you know used my model to to draft or whatever, I would have have added the most wins above replacement of any team since 2015. Just going through if I had picked 10 or 10 pick 15 and just had seven picks every single year, and it wasn't even close. Um, and I don't think it's because the model itself is the thing. I think it's because the uh, no, not drafting for need, the way I tested it, not drafting for need and just sticking with the board. Um, look, so there's other variables in there, but um, that's the basic gist. Okay. Someone's asking production-based variables. It's a lot of the stuff we talk about, say pass rush grade, run defense grade, run stop percentage, uh, completion percentage when targeting receivers. Um, so each position has a whole bunch of different numbers, and I just looked at how well they project to war at the next level. And I used war because war leads to wins. More war equals more wins at the NFL level. That's what we've seen historically. So um, I think it's pretty good. It's uh, being built in PFFIQ for our NFL team customers. So that's why I can't give all of it away, but uh, we're model adjacent here as we go through the mock. Okay. So I don't want to talk the whole show, though. I no. want you to criticize. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have complaints. You'll have complaints. Um, so we'll get to it in a minute, but first, I should have it memorized. You know what it, you know what we're doing. Mm. The PFF NFL podcast and Steve's mock draft is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. I wonder if they'll sponsor my actual mock draft directly. Western or the and model. Southern, or they the model, power the entire model. Yeah, Western and Southern can power the model. They could do that. While you focus on your roster moves and Steve's mock draft here. Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. A uh, couple more quick housekeeping items. We do have uh, two interviews locked in that I teased last week. You said, don't do it till you get them locked in. Mm -hmm. Locked in. You Jim, see, I mean, yeah. Jim locked Nagy. in have yet to take place. I mean, this is a critical detail. Have yet to take place. Yeah. Yeah. So this Wednesday, we'll have Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl. Fire over any questions you might have for Jim, particularly about the seniors. Um, and then Dan, Dane Brugler of The Athletic, he'll be with us next Thursday on our show. Someone in the uh, in the chat is claiming that the late Dr. Eric Eager has a 37-inch vertical, and he can dunk. Now, he can dunk. I've seen that. but There's no 37-inch no. vertical. No, no, no. I no, peaked no. at a 32-inch vertical. Yeah. Using the same uh, technology that they use at the combine. Yes. Because we've also used like the mat that you calculates a, how, how long you're in the air. You and might those have numbers a, are uh, lower. You might have a 32 centimeter vertical now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My kids are creeping up on me and they can barely get off the ground. So, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're close here. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't imagine. That's that. what you pulled out of the chat? Yeah. I mean, there's a string of them, you know? There's no way Eric has a 37 inch vertical. Not a chance in hell. Like currently? Or one time when he was a college tight end. Because either one. Right. I'd be pretty stunned if he ever had a 37-inch vertical. He 100% does not have one now. All right. We ready to get into this? Yeah. Like, I mean, we're in this world of never speak in absolutes because it's draft season. I will absolutely, categorically put anything on the line to say that that man does not have a 37-inch vertical at the current time. All right. Let me throw my last caveat on the uh, mock draft here. Okay. I always have, uh, since I took over as our, our draft guy in 2014, 15, whatever that was, I have always done mock drafts based off what I would do. I have never, I don't even think I've ever done a predictive mock draft. 
So I've never tried to predict what teams are going to do. I've always done Steve's the GM, all 32 teams. I'm going to do, I'm going to make my pick. So that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is the uh, websites that test your accuracy based off how well you predicted the first round. I have been (laughs) accidentally placed into those competitions before. And it's me and Pete Prisco ranking last. Now, Pete, I think, was doing the same thing. Poor Pete's over there like, here's what I would do. (laughs) And then they're like, dude, you only hit on two picks, you idiot. And I'm like, no, that's not – don't – do not put me into any contests, mock draft, none of that stuff. I I will not be entered into any mock draft accuracy contest because it's not what I'm doing. Those it's are, not what I'm doing. Those are especially funny when it becomes known, like, you know, a few weeks in advance who the number one pick is going to be, and that, like, determines the dominoes all the way down. Yeah. And you're like, no, I would go somewhere else with the number one overall pick because I'm GM. So from pick number one with every single domino, you're yeah. wrong. Like, like, I'm purposely being wrong because yeah. I'm telling the people, here's what I would do. And, and look, I, some people hate this. Some people hate when you do what – here's what I would do. They just want to hear the, the best predictions. Hmm. And I don't get it, but – uh, the point of this whole thing is to have a nice discussion about uh-huh. the best value and the best players and what you would do if you were in that seat. The last thing we need to preface this with is we have heard your feedback and we will spend less time on you know the top four picks where we keep talking quarterbacks yes. exhaustively. We'll do quick quarterback takes. Right, and get into some more get into substance. Okay, the very last thing I want to say. <laughs> because, uh-huh. because I'm doing this yeah, model adjacent, mm. there's a lot of – there's, there's definitely a point in this draft where I don't want to pick any more players in the first round, and I would trade down. I would try to do everything I could to trade down. Um, so because it's all the players that I like, theoretically, I'm going to run out of players that I like picking in the first round. There's probably only 15 players that I want to take in the first round. So there's another 15 who look like they're going to get drafted way higher than they should that I probably wouldn't necessarily take there because I'd have some of my other players available that I already picked. So, yeah. I'll just re- repeat that every single time I pick a guy. I don't love this guy in the first, but here we are taking him in the first round. Perfect. All right, you ready to go? Yeah. All right, Tyler, let's fire up the mock draft simulator. We're going to use the uh, consensus board. That's the public board as our baseline. And let's get right into it. Carolina Panthers are on the clock. Steve's mock draft 1.0. PFF.com forward slash mock. There you go. Where you can do your own. I'm taking Bryce Young for the Panthers. Okay. No big surprise, right? Let's just talk picks one and two really quick. I'll take Bryce Young for the Panthers, and I'll take C.J. Stroud for the Texans. And this is the order that the model would have them? Um, I, I, Based on I am less, limitations? I am less, uh, less inclined to use the model for quarterbacks. But, yes, <laughs> Bryce Young would be – they're both close, okay. actually. Um, the, the model is for predominantly for non-quarterback positions. We haven't found uh, a great trend at quarterback, and my theory there is just draft them anyway. I mean, I've I've talked, you know, my opinion on Bryce Young extensively. I think he should be the number one overall pick. Give me your sales pitch. What's the thing that puts him over the top for you? Bryce Young? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of the same stuff you said. I mean, makes all the throws. To me, the thing that puts him over the top is natural playmaking. I thought um, we got a lot of good feedback on the Chris Sims discussion. Yeah. Um, We had a lot of fun talking to Chris, right? You get his takes, and you get – I um, mean, there was a lot of stuff we agreed upon, right? It's like, yes, I did. See, Chris, when I mentioned that about Bryce Young, he said, yes, I did see that on film, right? It's just a matter of how you value those mm. things. So I think Bryce Young's natural playmaking ability, in addition to be able to work within and, structure, I think that separates him from Stroud and from Richardson and the other guys. And interestingly, <clears throat> something that Chris said sent me back and started watching some of Bryce Young. Um, 
you can find the area that he struggles with the height. The stuff Chris talked about, which is when the pocket is kind of collapsing in around him and all of a sudden being five foot ten becomes a reality because the things closing in around you are six foot three and you just don't have anywhere to go. You know what I mean? You can see him start to struggle relatively in those situations. However, the point I would make to that is I think that's a pretty crappy baseline of quarterback play generally. Like if you're in a situation where you're trapped in the pocket and the walls are closing in around you, pretty much every quarterback in the league plays like crap. That's a good point. Now, you're going to find, you know, as Chris talked about, there's a play where Tom Brady or Justin Herbert or whoever, like they deliver a strike from in there and, you know, being six foot five is useful. I would still suggest that their baseline in those situations, I didn't actually check it for the NFL guys, but like all of the college guys suck in that scenario. You can sort of filter it out and find that those plays. So is Bryce Young's play a lot worse in those situations? Yes. Is everybody else's play a lot worse in those situations? Also, yes. And I also think that Young is probably the best of any of them, maybe Richardson, at not being in those situations. Like he understands when the things are collapsing and gets out of there. So it's less of a problem for him. So it's another sort of area where it's exactly what you talked about. We're all seeing the same thing, but it's how much do you weight it? Like Chris sees that and goes, oh, that's a problem. That's, that's five foot ten, biting in the ass right there. Whereas if he starts sort of diving into it and trying and figure out, okay, well, how big a problem is that going to be? It's probably a lot smaller than you think it will be. Yeah, I think that's a good point on all that. And um, yeah, I just, I, I trust Bryce Young the most, even though I, when we ranked them a couple weeks ago, I don't think he's in the, the top tier of quarterback prospect over the last few years. I think next year, I mean, the, the more I watch film on other guys and I see Caleb Williams making plays, man, oof. He is, he is legit. I think the hype's going to be real there. So I feel better about picking number one overall next year as of right now. I know that gets said a lot. But for now, if I'm the Panthers, I would take Bryce Young. The Texans at two, when we did our quarterback ranking show, I put Stroud and Anthony Richardson. I put those guys at 2A and 2B. And mm-hmm. I said, a little bit is going to be system. A little bit is going to be your risk appetite. I think for me as the Texans GM right now, knowing that my friend Bobby Slowick is running the offense and bringing Shanahan's scheme and all that stuff. I like Stroud the best there. I think his accuracy will play. I think his strengths can be accentuated in that offense. Um, the, the concerns that you lay out about Bryce Young, I have those same concerns about C.J. Stroud, but it's it's results-based, not height-based, right? When the, when the pocket's closing in on Stroud, I don't think he's great under pressure except the Georgia game. So I'd be interested to hear... Um when this would presumably have to be entirely off the record, but how both D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick view Anthony Richardson based off the experience they had of the whole Kyle Shanahan, Trey Lance thing. Let's go aggressively. We get Trey Lance. This guy has this rushing threat that brings something totally different to the offense. He's also one of the least accurate quarterbacks that's come into the league uh, based off sort of overall numbers in recent years and the whole thing didn't work and all of a sudden Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant as their starting quarterback with no elbow. Um, Do they look at that and go, do they still buy into whatever caused Shanahan to go get Trey Lance in the first place? So, you know, is their natural inclination to go, wow, Anthony Richardson could be Trey Lance, like the guy we thought Trey Lance was going to be, or are they burned by how badly that went for a year or two 
and they go, no, give me the safe guy. Like, give me the guy that we don't have to think about. Can he actually pass? I'm assuming, I mean, we've we've kind of projected that on them, that that was their explanation for getting Trey Lance. Right. We haven't heard specifically in those terms, right? But we've projected and theorized the reason why you go Trey Lance is to add that running threat is yeah. because, hey, accuracy issues get mitigated because we're going to scheme it open. We create more open throws than any other scheme in the NFL. So we're going to handle that. And then Trey Lance is going to bring this dynamic playmaking ability that Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't do, that uh, – you know, Matt Ryan couldn't, you know, nobody could for Kyle Shanahan since RG3 back in 2012. That would be the theory behind getting Anthony Richardson, but I think there's a probably safer play for the Texans in C.J. Stroud here. All right, that's already too much quarterback talk. No, that was good. I think that was concise. I think that was right. I mean, we'd, we'd be an hour in normally on the quarterbacks. So that puts the Cardinals up at pick three, and, of course – for me, the best the best play would be a trade down here. I'd rather have more picks if I'm the Arizona Cardinals. I'm not going to do any trades in this mock draft. So I'm taking Will Anderson. Um, Jalen Carter, if you guys can see the screen there, Jalen Carter is higher on the consensus board, the public board, as we as we call it at the on the PFF mock draft simulator. For me, I feel like Will Anderson is the safest non-quarterback here. And by safest, I mean the best. Um, the one that I trust the most to be a, a good player at the next level. It fits a need for Arizona. They need any sort of defensive line playmaker. So I'm going Will Anderson from Alabama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if they're stuck with that pick and they can't trade out, then this is the obvious call. Um, with Anderson, we we said a lot last year that Aiden Hutchinson is not at a Bosa or Miles Garrett or even Chase Young level of prospect. I think those are the four who are the pinnacle of edge defender prospects of the PFF era. If you uh, PFF college era starts in 2014. Prior to that, I think you would say Khalil Mack, and you would say Vaughn Miller. And I don't know if we would have Jadavian Clowney in that same boat, but let's say those types of guys, right? Um, Will Anderson might be a tick below, but again, when I look at the production metrics that project at the next level and everything that he's done, it's good. I think he's Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson level, which is, we just saw, Aiden Hutchinson looks like he's on his way to becoming just a good a very good edge in this league, even if he's not at Bosa level. But he could still, but that last 10-game stretch that Hutchinson had. So I feel good about Will Anderson. Yeah, <clears throat> Anderson is hurt a little bit, I think, by his own reputation preceding him a little bit in that I think very early in his college career, he started to get the treatment that you get when you're the, you know, the top defense player in the nation type of thing. And so you look at his sort of there's a lot of his production ends up coming on like stunts inside and that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of it is because Alabama had to resort quite early on to trying to free him up as opposed to just saying, you're on the edge, go beat your tackle. Because he doesn't just have to beat his tackle, he has to beat his tackle and the extra help. Um, I think Anderson maybe could have had a sort of better, I mean, it's not like he had a bad college career, but like could have had crazy numbers, insane production if he wasn't getting extra attention, you know, through the entirety of his college career. All right, good points. I'll take Anderson at three. And uh, number four, the Colts are up on the board. There's no other trades going on here. I'm taking Anthony Richardson at quarterback for the Colts. So, like I said earlier, Stroud 2A and 2B, you know, him and Richardson, I had them tied for second. Uh, if, if I'm the Colts, I need to take a shot on one of the quarterbacks. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit lower on Will Levis maybe than others. He might drop in this one we'll talk about it maybe when we get to the next quarterback potential selections here uh 
I think Richardson's worth the play here. Um, go back and listen to many of my Anthony Richardson takes. We've had those on social media. We've had them among our other shows. Uh, I thought we got in depth way back when we did the Fixing Every Team in Five Minutes episode on the NFC, uh, AFC West. If you go back to that episode, when, during the Raiders section, kind of uh, went to town on Anthony Richardson discussion. Um, also in our QB rankings show, we talked about Richardson quite a bit, talked about his accuracy a couple shows ago. So without rehashing all of that, Take the shot, man, if you're the Colts. There's no other position that's worth taking. There's there's uh, rumors about them trading down and taking different quarterbacks, whatever it might be. Just and an hooker. take a quarterback and see if you, if he's your guy. If he's not, you move on, but take a shot here with the Richardson at four. You're not, a, you're not at all persuaded. Well, I suppose you're not trading in this, but pers- persuaded by the argument of trade down and grab a handed hooker. I wouldn't. I mean, I've made the point that that maybe teams should do that, right? Like you should play to the uncertainty at the quarterback position and say, I don't really know if Anthony Richardson's better than Hendon Hooker. We're not great at this. Let's trade down and get, say, you can maybe get another starter plus Hendon Hooker, right? So that would be the debate. Let's just pretend. What if I could add another starter to my team at whatever position and have Hendon Hooker versus having just one Anthony Richardson? I mean, I would, I would entertain it, but I would probably stick with, I think there's a clear top three quarterback prospect here. Give me one of those guys, and I can accumulate more picks later in the draft through other wheeling and dealing. So if I'm the Colts, and this is the way the board falls, give me Anthony Richardson and you know see if we can turn him into something. There's still something, I think, to that old Bill Parcells planet theory. You know, There's only so many human beings this big, fast, and whatever walking the planet and Richardson is in that category. Like, he had the number one relative athletic score of all quarterbacks since 1987. Number one. It's like almost a 1,000 quarterbacks. So he's essentially the most athletic quarterback that's come into the NFL in the modern era. He's also got the number three highest relative athletic score at any position during that period. And the other two guys, who's the third guy? But one of them was Megatron. Like, Megatron, the guy's named after a Transformer. And maybe it was Vernon Davis was the other one, but, like, some some other, you know, all-time. Oh, no, Jordan Davis was the other one. Like, at 348 pounds, is running a 4'7". Like, those are the category of freak that Anthony Richardson is in in terms of physical tools. So, does he have a long way to go as a passing quarterback? Sure. Is he the most freaky athlete to come into the league at that position since it's been relevant as you know modern NFL, also yes. So at some point, you have to just say, screw it, let's figure out what we can turn this guy into. And it's not just testing, right? I mean, it shows up on the field. It showed up on the field at Florida, either with long runs or his ability to run through tackles, around tacklers. <coughs> um, so yes, we're going to tap into Anthony Richardson's skill set in Indianapolis mm-hmm. and build the offense around him and see, see what happens. Okay. Him and Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. Right, uh, good running backs feel better to me when you have a good running quarterback next to him. Right, I'm I'm more likely to say, oh, I'm excited about Jonathan Taylor because Anthony Richardson's back there with him. So I think there are some some nice things that Indianapolis could do there. Yeah, and the the chat is pointing out that you know we've seen freak combine or athletes bust in the past. I, I would make the argument, and this is a worse argument now than it was a year ago, but it's the same as the Trayvon Walker thing. We've literally never seen a player that freaky bust because there's never been a player that freaky bust 
there's ever been a player that freaky, period. Like, Trayvon Walker was not just another Danell Hunter or Vernon Golson or whoever you want to compare him to in terms of freaky workout numbers. He set literally unprecedented numbers. We have never seen anybody this crazy enter the league. So you can't comp him to anything else that's bust before because it's never existed. Look, I would say Richardson is in that – I mean, he is in that category. He's literally the most athletic quarterback for his size that has ever entered the league. So any precedent is off the table because nobody has ever come into the league looking like that. Like, it's, it's a one of one. So have previously athletic players looked great in shorts and busted? Absolutely. But, again, never seen this before because it's never happened before. And let me just say this as concisely as I can. That's not the only – I mean, that's part of the reason why you want to take him. The reason why I'm taking quarterback here is because even if there's bust potential – there's always bust potential. There was bust potential with Andrew Luck and with Trevor Lawrence. We just felt like, hey, it's lower, right? Right. Uh, the value of hitting on a quarterback is unbalanced with the value of hitting on every other non-quarterback. The next players on the board, Jalen Carter, Devin Witherspoon, Tyree Wilson, Quinton Johnston. Those guys don't matter. If you're Jim Ursay, owner of the Colts, or you're Chris Ballard, GM of the Colts, does it matter if you got a very good Jalen Carter if you don't have a quarterback, if you got a very good Devin Witherspoon, Tyree Wilson, any of those players, if you get any of those players and they hit, even become pro bowlers, even if they become all pro, it doesn't matter until you have a quarterback. And then if your quarterback doesn't hit, what did you leave on the table? You left on the table a starter, a good player. You left on the table a Jalen Carter to take a shot at a quarterback to see if he's the guy. And then if two years down the road, he's not the guy, you move on to the next guy. The Jets organization has not taken a step back because they missed on Zach Wilson, right? They would have rather hit on Zach Wilson. They would have rather hit on the quarterback, but the sky is not falling, falling in New York. They move on to the next guy, right? And the only thing they missed out on was, well, in that draft, okay, maybe they missed out on Jamar Chase or Micah Parsons and a very good player. Uh, but most drafts aren't like that. You take your shot at quarterback and it does not crush your franchise. So that's why you do that, even if there's bust potential. There's bust potential all the time at quarterback. All right, moving on. Seattle Seahawks are up at five, and I'm going Jalen Carter here, defensive tackle from Georgia. Uh, you know, again, we always preface this with we don't know some of the stuff that's going off uh, off the field. To me, the on-field tape is going to trump everything, assuming uh, all character issues. My my team has signed off on him from a character standpoint. Mm. Okay, let's pretend that's the case. Uh, I think Will Anderson's the safest non-quarterback. I think Jalen Carter on the field is second. Um, and then I think we get into a whole bunch of uh, toss-ups. I think there's far more risk from an on-field production standpoint with almost, almost every other player in the draft. Yeah. So that's where I would, I would take Jalen Carter, assuming all checks out, and I'm excited if I'm the Seahawks. Yeah, th- this is the spot in the draft where it gets difficult, where you've cleared – you know, most of the quarterbacks, if you assume one starts to drop, it's because you don't love that quarterback as much as the, the kind of consensus or whatever did. Um, and then however many blue chips you think are in this, whether it's Will Anderson one, whether it's Anderson and Jalen Carter two, if those guys are gone, we're in this world of like, I don't love any of these guys worth a top 10 pick that are available, but I have a top 10 pick and I'm on the clock. So I got to pick somebody. Carter is like, yeah, he's in this category. You're 
he's arguably the number one player in the entire draft from a talent standpoint. But we're dealing with, you know, the arrest, the 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 warrants, the um, pro day stuff, like who knows? So you're right. If that stuff checks out, if you're comfortable that you can bring him in, it was a moment of immaturity or whatever, and in your environment, he's going to work out great, then absolutely, this is value and it's the only pick you can possibly make. And if you don't love that, you're in a really tough spot because you're not drafting, a, I doubt you're drafting Will Levis if you're Seattle. Um, and then you're like, do I love any of the corners at this spot? Do I love Tyree Wilson? And we don't. Do I love any of the receivers? Like you're in a, this is not a nice draft spot. And this is applicable to Seattle at five, to Detroit at six, probably to the Raiders at seven. Like this is a rough period of this draft if it falls a certain way. I want to put some perspective in here now. So the Lions are up on the clock at six, and I I mention this every single year. There's a pivot point in the draft, right? I think we've hit it. This is where I don't – the the next – everybody else on the board, I would rather pick at 12 to 15, right? right? I I would rather not have a pick until – I would feel much better with these next players picking them at 12, picking them at 13, whatever it might be. For perspective, I think we said in 2021, just two years ago, the pivot point in that draft was probably pick seven or eight. And now in hindsight, when you look at the blue chip players that were drafted there, Kyle Pitts at four, still think he's a blue chip player and prospect, prospect. Jamar Chase at five, uh, Jalen Waddell at six, Panay Sewell went seven, J.C. Horn went eight, Patrick Sertan went nine to the Broncos, Devontae Smith went 10 to the Eagles, then Fields at quarterback, and then Micah Parsons goes 12 to the Cowboys. Mm. Any of those players I would take over this next slew of players. I would take – I think all of those guys are better prospects than the next however many players on the board. I mean, if the board falls this way, the the next – the entire second half of the top 10 is desperately hoping that somebody loves Will Levis to the point where, you know, all of a sudden there's a team – you know, maybe Tampa Bay, right? Where are they? 19. A team like Tampa Bay at 19 or Washington at 16 or, you know, whoever. That there's a team in that area that didn't think that they were going to have a shot at a Will Levis. All of a sudden is like, oh, Will Levis is slipping. We're now at sort of pick seven or six, seven, eight, nine. And they go and do that aggressive move of jumping up to grab the guy that they didn't think was going to be available. If that doesn't happen, all of these teams are in this spot of having to draft the guy that they just almost certainly don't think is worth this spot, that they would rather have 10, 10 picks lower down. Yeah, so this is why I hate my mock draft. I hate doing it. I don't want to do it. I pick all my favorite players, and all my favorite players are gone, but I'm still obligated by the rules yeah. of the exercise to make picks. Well, now you've got to be the Raiders. Now you've got to reach. You might, you might think I'm reaching a couple <laughs> times. Um, so full disclosure, I kind of like went through this in my head ahead of time. It's live, but you know, I've tried to have an idea just to make sure I'm not, you know, completely off the cuff here. Um, let me get to the Lions here at six. So I'm going to go Devin Witherspoon, Illinois cornerback here at six. Again, I would rather take Witherspoon in the teens, but here we are. We're picking at six. Um, the consensus board has him at seven. So I'm not straying far from what the public or in the public being, you know, uh, just online analysts, um, several of them. But Devin Witherspoon at six, uh, I think his season last year was spectacular for Illinois. I absolutely love watching him play. He flies around the field like a missile. When people are, people are always looking for Dan Campbell types, he's his type, right? The dude is feisty and just does awesome stuff on the field. 
my concern, what the data would be concerned with, is it, there's only one year of production from Witherspoon. He had multiple years of play at Illinois where just he was just average. Last year, he was the best corner in, the, uh, in college football. So how do you weigh that? I like to look historically and say, okay, how often has this happened? The hit rate on those types of players isn't great. So that's where, again, if I'm in the draft room, I would mitigate risk and try to take him a little bit lower. What are you smiling about? What's going on? Just that the uh, before we went on air, I showed you that the Endeavor has purchased WWE and is now going to combine somehow WWE and UFC into one parent company for purposes beyond my understanding. It's going to be some great crossover matches. But that publicly traded company is now going to be trading under the symbol TKO, which I just think is very good. <laughs> Smart. That's great. Yeah. If they can mix boxing in, we could really... Uh... Can well, they buy the WBF? And, and Dana's slap league, you know, the whole thing. It's just your one-stop oh, shop for— Dana does the slap league. Yeah. It's your one-stop shop for fighting. Think I could make it in the slap league? I won the uh, tortilla challenge we did yes. last summer. You're, I mean, the weight that is, must be behind one of your ham hock hands, Yeah, just physics alone dictates that nobody's getting up from that. It's funny because most people think you insult me, but every now and again— you compliment me and think, wow, this guy could do any sort of athletic endeavor. Now, I, I've I got to confess, I've never actually watched a minute of that slap league thing. I don't know how the process works. But I saw if, some highlights. It looks terrible. Oh, yeah. But my point being, if you have to slap second, you might be in trouble. I don't, uh, know, I don't know yeah. what your chin is like, but I'm just saying. No, rough chin. You got a rough when chin. that meat hook of a hand connects with somebody's face, they're going down. They're not coming yeah. up. Now, if they've already had a shot at you, you might be struggling. Yeah. So we're not going to do that. Um, so I'm going Devin Witherspoon at six okay. for the Lions. Now, explain to me. What, so Devin Witherspoon would seem to fall into the category of one season wonder that you warned me away from recently with your historical uh, research. Yes. And yet here you are at pick number six drafting him. Yeah. Um, so the cornerback position is kind of like quarterback where there's, I think there's inherent risk anyway. Yeah. Um, unless you have, I think when the clear-cut elite prospects are out there. Have you seen a list, by the way? Forget like one season wonder. Have you seen sort of the last 10 years of simply who was the number one corner drafted that year? Um, well, I imagine it goes Stingley, J.C. Horn, Jeffrey Okuda. Yeah. None of those look great compared to the one after him. Right. I mean, very rarely is it the best corner in that draft, even containing yourself just to the first-round picks of corner. Like, it's a uh, – Yeah, those I were, mean, this, most, Those this, misses were all non-model guys, by the way. Oh, wow. The model, the model liked Patrick Sertan as elite, Sauce Gardner as elite, and it said A.J. Terrell was the best corner in the draft. Where really? AJ, so, no, it would have gone A.J. Terrell over Jeffrey Akuda and C.J. Henderson in that draft. Actually, Akuda was close. Akuda and Terrell were close. Yeah. Akuda's just a straight-up miss. Right. Um, C.J. Henderson never would have been a first-rounder by the model. Um, the biggest, as I've said, the biggest model miss, the biggest miss of my life <laughs> in, in anything I've ever done is Vernon Hargraves. So, Vernon Hargraves ticked every box. Mm. Before he unticks them on his way to the NFL, there are there are some <laughs> when he players, got to the NFL. Yeah, there are some players where even you know years later with hindsight, it makes no sense. Why wasn't that guy good? I don't know. I don't know. And he's one of them. Hargreaves is one of them. There are other players as well. But like a lot of times, you know, a few years time, 
with some hindsight and with some more information, you're like, okay, that makes sense. I understand why that guy wasn't a good player. Or, you know, it turns out he had a drug habit or he was a lazy bum, you know, whatever. Like, you, you know things later on down the track. You're like, okay, maybe we couldn't have avoided that at the time, but now we know. There are other players who are like, I don't understand why that guy wasn't good. There's yeah. no reason for it even 10 years down the line. Uh, let, let, if you want to talk corners a little bit, because I, I'm going to draft a few corners here uh, in the next few picks, I believe. So if you, if you use my rubric of what was a hit, which um, I went back and I said, okay, did this guy have a wins above average per season uh, above, say the let's say, the 60th percentile, 70th percentile? We'll call him a solid player. The first round since 2015 has seen a 45% hit rate on cornerbacks. So 45% of first-round corners have become hits. Just using the model would get you 57%. So you go from 45 to 57. So here's where it's interesting. Second-round corners, because I was looking when I was looking at my data, I was like, man, I'm terrible in the second round. <laughs> the NFL is terrible in the second round. The hit rate on corners using my rubric here, it drops to 25%. Yikes. So do you remember how many times, and we're going we're gonna to rank corners later this week mm. on Thursday, how many times have we looked at cornerbacks over the last couple of years and be like, ah, I don't love him in the first, I would definitely take him in the second. There's a lot of those guys, um, like Kevin King. Like there's a lot of these guys like, man, I would definitely take him in the second. As soon as that happens, the hit rate gets cut in half. Basically, it also probably explains why a lot of times watching corners, you really don't like a lot of these guys. And then you're like, what? They're, they're supposedly top 50 players. They must be quite good. But if your hit rate, if your baseline hit rate for a guy drafted at like pick number 40 is 25%, you probably shouldn't love him. Yeah. So, so that's what's interesting, right? So the, if, if, if I start saying I don't want this guy until the second, what do I do there? Do I just say, if the NFL values him as a second-round pick, I need to change my value expectations there because that's generally not a good thing. The consensus is saying he's not good enough in round one. There's just not good value drafting corners in the second round. So the model also doesn't have good value in the second round. Third round, similar. Um, where it is interesting is uh, the very few model players that make it to day three or undrafted free agency. The hit rate's pretty solid. Very small sample size, but you did find – uh, DJ Reed and mm -hmm. Levi Wallace. There are some players in there Levi. that are pretty good. So I have some corners on my list that if they show up on day three, I would play those odds and say, absolutely, rounds four through seven, I would draft two or three of these guys, and I might, I might you know, steal a player there. Mm -hmm. um, so the Devin Witherspoon thing is the overall data likes him. When you look at it through the one lens of take his whole career, it still likes him. At the, on the other hand, when I look at one-year wonders, the players who only had one big peak year are big misses. That's like the C.J. Hendersons and Damon Arnett's. Um, there's a few others in there. The only guy that really hit was Marshawn Lattimore. Mm. And he just didn't have an opportunity to play. Right. Marshawn Lattimore and there's one other player that hit. So, um, yeah. Newsom. I just want to say, yeah, uh, Greg Newsom. So, I just want to say there's risk associated with all these other picks. I don't love them all. That's why I would want to mitigate my risk by trading down. But I'm taking Devin Witherspoon six for the, for the Lions. That puts the Raiders up at seven, and now this brings me to this. This is another pivot point here. The Raiders and Falcons both need a quarterback, theoretically. Right? The Raiders the, desperately. I mean, the Falcons can probably the, muddle through with, you know. The Raiders desperate. Well, I think maybe – I would say that the Falcons have a more desperate need at quarterback. No. So the Raiders at least have Jimmy Garoppolo, right? And I can, I can paint a picture 
where if I, if I create a pristine world around Jimmy Garoppolo for the next year or two, we're going to be competitive, right? I know my goal is to win championships, but we're going to be competitive. I could paint that picture. I think it's harder for the Falcons to do that. They're making some really good moves, and I still don't really know what Desmond Ritter is. They valued him as a third-round pick last year, and they're going all in on Desmond Ritter. And, we, and I saw – I didn't see enough last year to say, absolutely, I'm all in on Desmond Ritter. So the Raiders are so bad defensively, and I just don't love Will Levis enough. And I know I'll contradict myself a little bit here. Oh, you always take shots on quarterback or whatever. But I'm not going to do it in this, in this case for the Raiders. So I'm going to say – Let's create as good of a world around Jimmy Garoppolo for now. I could still draft a quarterback next year if I have to. I don't have to do it right now because I'm at least tied to Garoppolo for another year. I don't love Levis enough to do it. So I'm going to take Christian Gonzalez at corner from Oregon. Hmm. The data doesn't love Christian Gonzalez hmm. except from a, com uh, from a measurable standpoint. Yeah. So I'm taking a shot on the 90th percentile measurables that I'm seeing in the model. And I'm going to take Gonzalez for the Raiders here. Also, theory-wise, I mean, I'm trying to make my pass game better. I want to be good in the run game. I'm trying to make my pass game better in all of these picks. So this is how I'm doing it. Okay. So Gonzalez is a guy who uh, played in Colorado for a couple of years yep. and then went to Oregon where he had by far the best season of his career. Um, and that, like, really catapulted him into, you know, this kind of conversation that he's in right now. The real big difference between his Colorado play and Oregon play, though, was he started to make some plays on the ball. He yeah. didn't have an interception at Colorado at all. And then all of a sudden added four of them in his year at Oregon. But his completion rate given up was actually five percentage points lower in Colorado than it was in Oregon. Um, passer rating was not dramatically worse either way like the big difference is he's just made a few turnovers last season um but like he's got that prototypical i mean size you know length but i've rarely seen an athlete move as smoothly as he did in everything he did at the combine not yeah. not just the drills but the 40 times just looked effortless looked like he was jogging like every movement drill he did was like that is the fluidity everybody is looking for at cornerback. That change of direction, that smooth ability to flip your hips, change direction, just adjust on the fly. That's everything people are chasing for. But you have to square that with, okay, but with those movement skills, why has he never been like absolutely shut down? I mean, he gave up three touchdowns last season, gave up three touchdowns the year before that. Doesn't get penalized a lot, which is a good thing, but there is a sort of missing, you know, top end to his play that you think a guy that freaky good should be able to bring out of the bag at the very minimum at the college level. Yeah. We'll get into the we'll get into all the corner analysis this week. I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, Gonzalez, like I said, from a production standpoint, solid. He's not a he's not a no draft. He's probably again, I would I would rather take him lower in the draft. This is where I think positional value is going to uh, play a little bit for me. So I'm going to bump up some of the receivers and corners, uh, tackles that you know either positions that are hard to come by or positions that I need to win, right? And the Raiders have a massive need at corner. I'm not need-based drafting, but I'm drafting a player who's going to come in and have a chance to play. You mentioned the movement skills, plus vertical and broad, four three eight forty. 
Um, all of those things project well to a production standpoint, so that might offset the actual on-field production a little bit. So um, all of those things are going through my head, but I'm going Christian Gonzalez here. How game. much, so between the model, between the, you know, the top corner drafted every year, all the things we're talking about, the risk associated with corner, we know how valuable corners are. Where do you find the balance between this seems to be a risky as hell position to draft period and it's also a really valuable position to draft if we hit on a sauce gardener the entire defense changes right yeah but what are your chances of hitting on a sauce gardener with what was effectively a 50 50 proposition the texans get a guy who hasn't shown anything yet and the jets get an all pro to transform the defense like what do you do i i'm my risk appetite would be to to take those chances i think if i uh if I hit on a Tyree Wilson at edge, I know that sounds counterintuitive. I don't think the impact is as great as hitting on a corner. Um, I think the Sauce Gardner thing was was huge last year. So yeah. last year at this time, a lot of mock drafts had the Jets not only taking an edge, but taking Jermaine Johnson, who they ended up getting at 20 at, in the 20s, right? They traded back into the 20s to get him. And a lot of the discussion was, you have to go edge. You have to go defensive line. Robert Sala builds through the defensive line. Now, they, I don't think they made a tactical decision to go, we're going corner over edge. I think they really did the scouty, trust your board, and they just graded Sauce Gardner so high that he was above all the other defensive linemen, besides probably Aiden Hutchinson, right? So they draft Sauce Gardner, the Jets. He did transform their defense. Yeah. The way he played last year turned their defense from one of the worst to one of the best. Other stuff happened too, but Sauce was the driver. I don't think an edge defender does that, right? An edge, the, the value in drafting an edge defender is certainty. So that is what you're balancing, right? It's like, it's like working the stock market or anything like that. I'm, pay, I'm going to either pay for upside at corner or certainty on the defensive line. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you, you, it's a case-by-case -case basis here, right? But the Raiders in particular, I don't think the Raiders can be good in that division if they don't have good corners, right? They just can't be good. You cannot compete with the Chiefs and the Chargers in particular, and maybe now the Broncos, if you can't cover, if, you can't, if you're not good at corner. You can't. So you got to take some chances there if you're the Raiders. So that's all going through my head, and that's all going through my head when I'm saying no to Will Levis if I'm the Raiders. All right, Falcons at eight. I probably should go Levis here, but I'm not going to do it um, because it's my mock draft, and mm -hmm. um, it's fun, and I can, I can not do that. I can veer a little bit here. So I'm not going to go Will Levis. Maybe I'm in on Hendon Hooker in the second if I'm the Falcons. Maybe I'm in on Hooker later. Maybe I'd rather have Hooker instead in this, uh, later than Levis in the first. Could be the case. Wow. So this is where the people are going to be like, what's going on here? Uh, the, you know, ready for the consensus board, what we have left here? Will Levis. Yeah. Tyree Wilson, mm -hmm. Edge from Texas Tech, Quentin Johnston from TCU, then Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State. That's what's up next here on the board. I'm going with my guy, Brian Branch. Safety, nickel, hybrid. I'm taking him at eight overall for the Atlanta Falcons. That's a very on-brand pick for Steve Palazzolo, GM. TM. It's my type. Yeah. I have a type. Mm -hmm. I have a type. So – would you criticize me? So you're you're doing you're live, you're live on YouTube, PFF yeah. Draft Show. Uh huh. I I run the card up for Brian Branch at eight, and what's your reaction? You and Chris and 
Trev, you guys are all like, man, Steve just left PFF. He goes to the Falcons to be GM. Right. And this is his first pick. Yeah. The late Steve Palazzolo. Rest in peace. Um, yeah. Like, I, I would look, I would echo what I said two picks earlier that I think this run is a difficult spot to be in where you don't love, I mean, all the sort of blue chip certain players that you think are going to be great are gone. Um, and or the quarterbacks. The only quarterback, if I'm Atlanta, that I'm really, really interested in is Richardson. If Richardson is there, I want him in this offense, and I just want to see that. If Richardson isn't there, I won't say any of the three, because if somehow Bryce Young is sitting there at eight, I want that as well, but for different reasons. Um, But I wouldn't love sticking C.J. Stroud in this offense necessarily. I wouldn't love Will Levis sitting in this offense necessarily. Not that I think they'd be bad, but I think Atlanta is fine with seeing what Ritter can do this year, and then if he stinks, figuring it out next year in some capacity. Um, Or, by the way, the Lamar Jackson thing, I think, is still alive for Atlanta. Like, if they come out of this draft, Richardson doesn't slide to them. They don't love any of the other guys. You know, it, it falls like this. They go a different position with their top 10 pick. They still have both the salary cap space, the time, and the draft picks to go after Lamar Jackson in the offseason and still have that installed, much as they might suggest that that's not happening right now. So I don't think that's dead. But if this is how it falls, I I really don't love their options. So, yeah, like, would I have gone Brian Branch? No, probably not. But could I – would I, like – I wouldn't go to war fighting for like a here's the obvious alternative that you should have come with because yeah. I really everyone else will be saying oh Tyree Wilson is the jackpot pick I don't like Tyree Wilson I really don't understand the hype for him and I would be 10 20 spots lower on him than the consensus board so I have a feeling maybe the NFL is as well maybe that Tyree Wilson is maybe a product of media hype yes looks a little bit like Trayvon Walker from last year but he hasn't worked out all offseason. He's got the broken foot. He doesn't even have a chance to put those workout numbers that people expect out there. Uh, right. We'll talk about Tyree Wilson when we get when we get there. Yeah, so, I, I mean, there are going to be people that would say, well, that's your obvious alternative. I, I don't think that's a better alternative, to be honest. Um, so with that, you're saying, well, do I want to take the first wide receiver off the board? You've already got um, Drake London. You've already got Kyle Pitts. You're already kind of not struggling to figure out how that group goes together, but I'm not sure that wide receiver moves the needle for this team as much as it would for others. You retained the two-fifths of your offensive line that, or one-fifth that was headed for free agency and and another that you needed to lock up. So you're probably not in the offensive line market. Would you reach this much for a Kalijah Kansi? I'd entertain the argument, but all of a sudden you're actually relatively well-stocked for like, penetrating, pass-rushing interior linemen. Right? I, w- I was wondering about the redundancy of Grady Jarrett and Kalijah Kansi. Yeah. I, Jarrett has – I don't think Kansi plays nose tackle at the NFL level. I think he's yeah. got to play over the guard. Grady Jarrett has shown he could play nose and move around a little bit. You can also argue, you can also argue there's a sort of here's Grady Jarrett's you know, successor, like heir apparent True. or whatever. Yeah. So maybe. But I-, I can definitely see why you would be looking at that if you're Atlanta and saying oh, it doesn't really fit. I, there's places they could go, but – I can't find like an obvious, here's what I would do, idiot. So yeah. I don't think I would hammer the pick in my Thank live reaction to GM 
Palazzolo's first uh, first move. I would text you too, like Sam, in your live reaction. Please know we tried to trade down. Yeah, we yeah, liked yeah, Brian right. Branch. We like Brian Branch a lot. He's the top player on our board. I'll tell that to the media. But I'm going to tell you, I wanted him at 15, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to trade. I wanted. I love Brian Branch at 15, not eight. And then I can you drop. Know? You know, sources say. Sources say that you know Atlanta tried to <laughs> trade down, but they got their guy. Yeah, I got to be confident. You got to make the people feel good. You got to make the players and, feel uh, good. An anonymous source sitting in a broken chair. The Falcons did a couple things over the last couple of weeks that I would do, by the way. Um, you know, this is Steve would do this all the time. Signed Mac Hollins, right? Gotta love Mac Hollins. Okay. So you signed him and they signed Scotty Miller, right? Scotty. Not not specifically Scotty, but your undersized, pure run the you know, run deep yeah. run deep stuff. He's in your, really fast. He's in your category of always draft or always sign. Even even like a buy low on John New Smith as a as a you know yeah. pass catching tight end. So there's a so that's part of the reason why I didn't go receiver either. Not that need-based drafting, you know, whatever. They already have Drake London and Mac Hollins and Scotty Miller and Jonu Smith and Kyle Pitts. They already have a lot of types over there. So I'm going to go Brian Branch. And I kind of like adding him to this secondary that currently has A.J. Terrell and Casey Hayward playing outside a corner. They add Jesse Bates as your pure, pure free safety. Richie Grant is kind of a hybrid type of safety slot player, much like Brian Branch. We're creating some flexibility there in the secondary. Oh, I also think, like, there's – I suspect, like, if Brian Branch is as good as people think he is, or specifically you think he is, um, we are probably way too low on where he should be drafted. Like, theoretically, if he's as good as he looks like he can be, and, you know, you showed me there's uh, there's tape of him making incredible plays one-on-one against Zay Flowers, you know, to break up passes, that kind of thing, or who was the – was it Mingo in the, the end zone where he ends up shattering him, making a, another great pass Jonathan breakup. Mingo, your number eight receiver. He's right. got a two-way go against Mingo, and boom, he just breaks on it and makes so a great play. If he's that good, everybody is way too low on what he can be, and there's probably only like two or three defenses in the NFL that he doesn't upgrade. So it's absolutely worth the top 10 pick at that point. Yeah, listen, Dave, in the chat. It's not being lazy. I don't care how high the Falcons are on Richie Grant. They're all going to play. Teams play three safety systems. Plus, Brian Branch is going to be my starting nickel. He's taken over from Mike Hughes as the nickel. D. Alford, he's better than those guys. He's going to play nickel, and we're going to have versatility. He's going to do whatever I want game plan-wise. This isn't a knock on Richie Grant. I don't care what the Falcons think about Richie Grant. I'm going full Mel right now. Mm. They're all going to play. All right, versatility in the secondary to combat the versatility in the wide receiver cores around the NFL. Brian Branch, he's a top five non-quarterback in this draft from a value standpoint. I'm all for taking him at number eight. Let's move on. Number nine, Chicago Bears on the clock. We're not going to spend as much time on every pick because I've picked Peter Skaronsky for them before. We've already broken that down. I'm taking Skaronsky from Northwestern. Okay. Um, did I consider the receivers? Yeah, I've considered the receivers. But um, I just I like the I think Skaronsky's the safe play here. Uh, Did you consider defensive line? Not at this point. I don't like the defensive line. I mean, yeah, I mean Kalijah Kansi maybe. Um, I think Skaronsky shoring up that offensive line is a bit more of a priority for me for the Bears. A little insurance for Whitehair if he needs to move around. But I like our starting five if we move move some pieces around now. What does the model think of Kansi? High. High. Very high. Okay. Now, again, it depends on how you slice this. In isolation, very, very high. When you uh, 90th percentile plus. Oh, that's However, cool. I got to recheck some of these numbers. When you look at 90th percentile plus players who are at his size, right? Because I'm um, there's an initial run where I don't factor in the size, right? So I just run the model, 
and then go back and kind of like slice and dice it based off of types and sizes and all that stuff. It loved Ed Oliver, right? Um, there's other players at that size that just did not pan out very well. So that's the that would be the there's caveats with all these guys. There's buyer beware pieces to all of these players. So it's interesting. I uh, I'll just fire this to Tyler on the off chance he can fire on the screen quickly enough, but. I, there's a website, Grinding the Mocks, by uh, Ben Robinson that sort of tracks mock drafts and where guys' draft stock is, essentially. And it felt to me like Kansi's stock has done this little, uh, it went into overdrive, presumably around the combine where he set, you know, record-setting numbers, compared himself to Aaron Donald very favorably, and it felt like his stock was going through the roof. And then recently, it's like it's cooled off again. And maybe we haven't, like, I was getting ready to put him inside the top 10 happily. Like, you can see that there. It was sort yeah. of, now, it hasn't gone that high. If you look at that peak, it actually peaked just at the bottom of the first round and I think then started to go down. Mel, but, Mel was the first guy to do it. Mel put him at 10. That's Kuiper, by the way. Yeah, I mean, you can see Mel that put him at 10 to the Eagles at one point. As much as the sort of mean or the whatever average there is fairly low at the bottom of the first round, you can see a bunch of mocks were there throwing him at the top, including a bunch of those blue ones, which are the sort of the quote-unquote expert ones. So there was a run where it felt like his stock was getting really hot and we were ready to put this guy in the top 10, but that feels like it's cooled off recently. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it has cooled a touch. But yeah, I'm kind of, I'm still buying it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, again, the Aaron Donald thing is silly, but the Ed Oliver comp is a more reasonable one where yeah. we are taking this guy with literally unparalleled get-off from the defensive line who I think has more pass rushing moves and ability to shed blocks than Oliver did at the same time, that's worth a top 10 pick. Like, that's a disruptor. Yeah, and and again, the the problem is, like, what else is around? Like, what are you competing yeah. with? I don't, I don't love the rest of the players here. So part of the Skaronsky thought process here, by the way, my, my numbers do like him quite a bit at tackle. The numbers don't... I'm not using, like, the arm length cutoff or whatever it is. So I think... I think he could play guard. I think he could play tackle, right? I would, I would let him try to try both. If he fails at tackle, let him play guard. But I, I, I think there's a comfort level for me with Skaronsky from a data perspective that I don't have with some of the other top tackles, um, even though I would still probably take them. Because so, they could really use him being – I mean, so where, what's, what does your line look like if you're Chicago? So i got to fire Skaronsky, up the depth chart. But we put – Braxton Jones at left tackle, presumably. Yes. Now you're – theoretically, they've got Cody Whitehair – a guard or at center. Lucas Patrick is there as an option at center. Nate Davis, who they just brought in at guard. I think the latest is they want to move. Tevin Jenkins being kicked back out to right tackle after being good at guard. So we put, in our depth chart, we put Tevin Jenkins at right tackle. I liked Jenkins as a tackle coming out. He played guard pretty well last year. I don't think they love him. I would give him a shot to play right tackle, or I would bring Skaronsky in to take a shot to play right tackle. Um and then Jenkins, it, so moving Whitehair to center, I think makes sense. So now I'm filling left guard. Left guard can be the Skaronsky or Tevin Jenkins, kind of whoever fails there goes to left guard. O-line people are going to hate this. We're moving positions, we're moving sides and all that stuff, but it's all doable. The best five play. And there you go. Yeah. The best five play. I'm going to grab a guard later. I would be, I'd be kind of tempted to, so the problem with that, is, so Braxton Jones, I think, stays at left tackle, all's fine. Uh, I'm fine with moving Cody Whitehair back into center. I think that's probably his best position. Nate Davis stays at right guard because that's where he played and that's where you should probably keep him. At that point, you're kind of stuck with seeing if Tevin Jenkins can play right tackle because you've got two right guards. 
and then Skaronsky comes in and plays left guard like right away and then maybe maybe if Braxton Jones doesn't improve next year Skaronsky like gets a shot to kick out the left tackle and actually play that after a year but yeah we talk about all those options they're all on the table we'll make we'll make sure the best five play but Skaronsky is one of the best five and I think he could play three three different positions the move I don't love for them is like I think Tevin Jenkins looked like a very good right guard. And all of a sudden you sign a right guard in free agency to take that spot. Now you've kind of put yourself in a bind of yeah. somebody has to go play a position that they're probably not going to be as good at. We can't undo the fact that they may have spent $10 million for a guard who's worse than the one that they already have. But <laughs> I, we can't undo that. We are where we are with the Bears. All right, Eagles are up at 10. And um, this is where I'm going to take Kalijah Kansi. Um, as far as the consensus board, Tyree Wilson's still up there. I'm dropping him, right? I'm just not going to take him as high as whatever the, the public says here. Um, a couple of receivers are up there. Cansey's actually next. He's fifth on the consensus board right here. And I will take Cansey. I will take – so defensive line – there's now two defensive tackles that have gone in the top ten. It's uh, Jalen Carter and Kalijah Cansey. Both guys uh, – date is pretty strong on both of those guys. It's not as strong as others in the class. I think there's a drop-off at that position. Uh, despite all the size and all that stuff, I think Cansey next to Jordan Davis and some of the other dudes that they have there in Philly, it's just another body type to try to block. I, um, it's probably unfair to say, I love all these defensive linemen in Philly because I think they'll use them well or they'll be next to other good players, but that is a factor here with Kalijah Cansey. I think he'll be a good disruptor here for the Eagles. The Do they still have um, Linval on the roster? Because... Linval Joseph lining up next to Kalijah Kansi would be the funniest, like, little and large image since the Derrick Henry standing next to Mark Ingram thing. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. These guys play the same position type of thing. Theoretically, These guys are both DIs, as we call them, D-tackles at the the NFL level. I mean, Linval Joseph, his list weight is like 330, but he made Jordan Davis, whose list weight is what, who was at the combine at 348. He made Jordan Davis look small when they were lined up next to each other. Like there were images of whether it was Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, whoever, Jordan Davis, and then Linval. And Linval Joseph was making those guys look tiny. So 330 is a list weight. If he's within 50 pounds of that, I'd be surprised. So putting him next to a dude who's like 281, a defensive tackle, would – I, I just need to see that. I love it. Get all the different body types. It's fantastic. Uh, pass rush grade-wise, Kansi's one of the best we've seen. He has a, He's right there. When we talk about historic pass rush grades coming out of college at a, on a per-play basis here. Yeah. Uh, Christian, the, the top two, by the way, both from Alabama, Christian Barmore and Quinn and Williams. Um, as far as power five guys, there's Maurice Hurst from Michigan. Has not translated at that level jordan elliott from missouri has not translated that at two uh we'll say two of our bigger misses elliott has been a below average player hurst has been an average player but certainly not the impact player we said had the heart issues all that stuff um next on the list though chris jones obviously become a star jonathan allen he's become a star not at the level of chris jones but he's a star and then the next two on the list for pure pass rush grade per play basis kalijah cansey and jalen carter Okay, so I think that's a big part of their projection. They both, uh, when I talk about the model and all that stuff, it's taking a number like this, seeing how well it projects at the next level, and then weighing it appropriately. All the data says, hey, Kalijah Kansi looks like a, uh, a good player. The only, the only issue is maybe 
at 280 pounds, not like a 6'5", 280, 5 tech body, but the undersized D-tackle type of player, you know, will that, will that translate? There's that. There's also, you know, when you listed the sort of hits and the misses, like the misses for this are two undersized interior defensive lineman they hit is the dude that weighed like 315 and is you know yeah. can play everywhere like yeah when i alter the model for d tackle i mean i just look at like 300 pounders the hit rate is through the roof like yeah. it's, it's really safe so if you're a 90th percentile and you're 300 pounds i'm like boom i feel really that's jalen carter right right that's gonna hit the canty one brings a little bit of doubt to the board but it is worth pointing out like his his grading is excellent. His pass rushing production is excellent. Um, he got better every year of his career. He was good right off the bat with a, a pass rushing grade of 79, 80. Then he went up to 84. Year two, went up to 92.4. That's that real elite, like, dominant force this most recent season. He had 47 pressures, which is, yeah, that's fine. It's not a great number. But he did it in 275 pass rushes, yeah. which is a production rate, like, through the roof. Um, so... Like, the stuff you talk about, and he was never bad against the run, like, good yeah. every single year. He's that disruptive run defender. You he's, still worry about big guards at the NFL yeah, level. But. he's going to play in the backfield, and sometimes that doesn't work if they're able to get two guys on you and drive you away from the point of attack. But, like, he will defend the run in the backfield causing problems. He will make individual blocks more difficult by his get-off. Like, the stuff that you talk about with Aaron Donald where you can't run certain concepts without adjusting them because there are guys that can't make that block against Aaron Donald. You know, Cancy will be the same thing. Again, not to this, the extent that Aaron Donald is, because nobody is, but that's the kind of force that he can bring. All right, we're an hour in, plus hour and six minutes, and Cruising. we're uh, 10 picks in, perfectly on pace here. But we didn't go nuts on the quarterbacks. We're giving some love to other positions and theories and all that fun stuff. So might need to go a little bit quicker <laughs> here, but we'll see how it goes. Um, let's do the next two picks together here. The Tennessee Titans at 11. And the Houston Texans back up on the clock at 12. Um, if I'm the Titans at 11, I think, you know, tackle was in play earlier this offseason. Could still be in play if I was the GM there. But um, Titans are only going to go as far as they improve their receiving core. So I'm going my top receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, as the pick at number 11 for the Tennessee Titans. I want him as my, my route runner opposite Traylon Burks and just kind of getting that getting that receiving core back on track here I think that's a pretty solid one-two punch I don't know if either is the alpha one but I think two really good receivers kind of like having a let's say Mike Williams and Keenan Allen that type of potential where neither one's the, the pure one but they have different styles and they're going to challenge defenses so give me Smith and Jigba to Tennessee this I think would be a potential landing spot for Will Levis like if he makes it to 11 and you're Tennessee, you're sitting there again with the finger poised over the reset button for yeah. the last month or so. I mean, Levis is a fairly natural successor, I think, to Ryan Tannehill in terms of some skill set things, some of the things he can do well. I think they'd be pretty tempted by that. It's also, again, the kind of range where, you know, does Tampa Bay love him? Does Minnesota love him? Like, do these teams that are picking in the late teens or the 20s are they now interested in jump, making that jump for a Will Levis? If they are stuck at this pick, if they're not drafting a quarterback, yeah, I think this is probably a good spot for I feel good about wide receiver value at this point. Uh, yeah, so I think I, I, I may have predetermined Levis's fall to a certain point just to kind of make that point <laughs> that I would 
take him lower in the teens or whatever. You're absolutely right, though. Tennessee, there's rumors right now that they're trying to trade up. That was one of the Monday morning rumors that Tennessee's trying to trade up to three with the Arizona Cardinals, that they have a quarterback in mind. Um, a lot of times when we talked about the trade-ups, it was the Raiders, the Falcons, teams in the top ten. But the Titans at 11, uh, and then there's really not maybe Washington at 16. Like if we're talking teams that could make a move that aren't completely 100% certain at quarterback, even though Washington claims they are, those are the types of teams that could go make a move. Detroit is always potentially in the mix if they want to just think to the future and have Jared Goff as a pure bridge. And then Tampa Bay. The Lions are at 18, and then Tampa Bay's at 19. Because, it would be interesting for the Lions to pick at six, and then if a quarterback drops, move there from 18 up yeah. to go get a quarterback as well. Because um, because this group of wide receivers at the top, I mean, we were talking about it in our wide receiver ranking show, it's effectively a big three for us, right? It's Jackson Smith and Jigba, it's Quentin Johnston, and certainly for me, it's Jordan Addison. Um, those are all very different wide receivers. Does that determine does that factor in at all for Tennessee who have Traylon Burks who I don't think they or we really know what he is yet not in terms of how good he'll be but in terms of like where he plays where he wins what should he be position wise within that offense does that affect which wide receiver you would be more interested in drafting um so I think for me in my rankings I would I think I haven't thought about this for every team I think I would want Smith and Jigba for every team first. And then I would start debating Jordan Addison versus Quentin Johnston. So I don't I think Smith and Jigba's skill set skill set plays no matter what. I think Quentin Johnston versus Jordan Addison, I might get into styles and types a little bit more debating those guys. Or Zay Flowers. Like look, we ranked Zay low, but I told you there's a team. If Zay Flowers is available, I like him, right? He's he's probably better fit than some others. So I would get into types, I think, when I get to Quentin Johnston, which brings me to pick 12 with the Houston Texans. Hmm. I'm going Quentin Johnston for the Texans. So to compliment C.J. Stroud, now that would have been cool if it was C.J. Stroud and Smith and Jigba, right? Yeah. Uh, the recent trends of college quarterbacks and receivers being reunited at the NFL level. But uh, I'll go Quentin Johnston for Houston and give them – a downfield threat. I don't know if it's because I've been watching a lot of corners more lately, and I'm seeing Quentin Johnston win a little bit more against corners that are, you know, draftable and all that stuff. I might be coming around on him a little bit more than I was previously. I get it, right? We described it on the receiver rankings show. I don't love him as much as others, but add him to the mix with Robert Woods and Nico Collins and John Mechie. I think it's a it's a size-speed threat that they don't have. What's the strike rate of Big 12 corners? <laughs> it can't be good. Xavier uh, Howard yeah. has been good. That's true. Baylor. Out of Baylor like six years ago, though. I mean, that was yeah. a while now. Um, Jeff Gladney, legit, rest in peace. But Gladney was one of those guys we said. He's battle-tested, uh -huh. coming out of TCU, that didn't go which well. he was. He had a lot of challenging roles. He was just okay for Minnesota. I feel like... Yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked. It doesn't feel like it's been a great strike rate. It's not great. No. Um, anyway, Quentin Johnston, add him as a deep threat to Houston at pick 12. Okay. Um, that puts the Jets on the clock at 13. We still have – let me get this. The big board, the uh, remaining players, we still have Will Levis, Tyree Wilson, Lucas Van Ness, Joey Porter Jr., Dalton Kincaid. Um, for the Jets – I might be pushing need here a little bit. 
Where did I go? What did I do? <laughs> it is what I thought. Yeah, yeah. I'm going Paris Johnson, the tackle from Ohio State. Uh, so Paris Johnson Jr., he's seventh on the remaining consensus board. Um, I don't love the tackles at the top, but I think, I think he's pretty safe. Um, I don't want to say that. I don't like saying safe about tackles. I think he's solid. I think he's fine. Uh, so Paris Johnson comes in, left tackle insurance at, uh, for Makai Becton, perhaps right tackle starter, and we're shoring up the offensive line for our guy Aaron Rodgers here with the Jets. Oh, I see. Um, Paris Johnson Jr. is a guy who the grading has not been tremendously kind to him, you know, for his college career. Yeah. So you've got three years. All Played three, guard yeah. until last year. Right. So we've gone right guard, left tackle. The overall grade has been kind both years. You know, three years if you count 26 snaps the season before. But the grade has been good. Uh, but it's been consistently strong as a run blocker. And then last year at left tackle was the first good year as a pass blocker. And even that was good, not great. It's like, you know, gave up a couple of sacks, gave up some pressure. Overall reasonable and very good for a run of games you know late in the season but it's reasonably thin on the ground in terms of like here's some great elite play we're comfortable with yeah so again this point of the draft i don't want to draft anybody um if you're the jets i think there's a pretty strong need at tackle i think this tackle class just looking at the the data here the data loves skaronsky but it's in part because it's not overweighing the 32 and a quarter inch arms of Skaronsky. 32 and a quarter. There's no real precedent for that arm length-wise at tackle. But the raw data loves him. Beyond that, the next few... Yeah, Braden Smith, but he's not even that low, is he? I think he is. I think he's the same. So I guess he could do it. So beyond that, Paris Johnson from Ohio State, Broderick Jones from Georgia... Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, uh, Dewan Jones from Ohio State. Data says they're good. They're fine. They're, they're not in this, like, unstoppable hit rate or anything like that. Um, I'm going to be lower on Darnell Wright from Tennessee. He's another one of those, like, I love the tape, but mm. I, the data says no. My heart's saying yes, but the data's saying no type of thing. Um, so I don't love this tackle class overall. There's not a lot of pure hits that I, that I feel like. There's not a lot of players that I have a – Strong confidence level in yeah. at a position where the data has been really good as far as hit rates go the last couple of years. So and, I'm, I'm reaching a little bit, basically, for Paris Johnson. Anton Harrison probably has the best grading profile of that group. Yeah. But I would say Broderick Jones also has a better grading profile than Paris Johnson does, certainly from a pass protection standpoint. Um, Anton Harrison has got two years of very strong pass blocking grades. Now, again... They could be stronger. You know, they're not like 90-plus, shut down, never giving up a pressure type of thing. We're dealing with like 85, 83-type season grades, which are very good. But if you're talking about this is the first tackle or second tackle off the board, I guess, with Skaronsky, um, first left tackle off the board, so we say, uh, you'd, you'd love to be a little bit more confident than that. Yeah. There's, there's, and the other thing is last year's draft class had like a couple tackles later on that I'd be like, all right, sure, I'll take them later. There might be one or two that I feel good about later in the draft. Um, by the way, fun stat here, Paris Johnson, his arm length was 36 <laughs> in an eighth, almost four inches longer than Peter Skaronsky, plus or minus whatever error bars there are in this ridiculous measurement process. But 
Uh, Paris Johnson, who did play guard for a while, ridiculous wingspan, ridiculous arm length, hashtag looks the part at left tackle or right tackle because it's the same position. So I'm taking Paris Johnson for the Jets at 13. Um, that brings me to the Patriots at 14. And I've, I've made this pairing before. I'm going Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State. Taking the corner from Penn State, Joey Porter Jr. I love the fit to New England. Adds a different body type there. They haven't had the big, long press corner there uh, since Stephon Gilmore left that they could, they could really trust one-on-one. I think Joey Porter might have the best, uh, the best mix there. He's better in man than zone. But it's one of those things I think you you could teach that a little bit, right? You can kind of coach him up in New England. So I like Joey Porter Jr. for the for the Patriots here. Yeah, I think that's a, that's one of those fits that's made sense like from day one and continues to make sense. So I'm on board with that. So there we go. We've talked about that one a little bit before. Mm-hmm. I have to give a good sound bite though for my ghostwriter of okay. the uh, mock draft. Joey Porter Jr., great fit for the Patriots in round one because of his press man coverage skills. How's that? Perfect. Good soundbite? Yeah. Um, what did I do here with Green Bay? You screwed up. That's what you did. What did I screw up? You drafted the wrong player. Oh, who should I have taken? You should have taken Dalton Kincaid. For New England? No, for Green Bay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I, I, yeah, I wanted to mix it up a little bit. I wanted to mix it up a little bit. I considered Dalton Kincaid. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're, so you, you've seen it. Yes. You've seen my mock. Because I, uh, I did run through it last night. Yeah, so the Green Bay Packers absolutely could go Dalton Kincaid here. I think he's the best tight end. He's a, a vertical threat. He's an excellent route runner. We're not going to be able to see him test or whatever. So uh, whatever. He moves really well on the field. Adding Kincaid as the tight end with Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. Dobbs, I mean, great. But I didn't do that. Sorry. What did you do? I'm taking Nolan Smith, the edge defender mm. from Georgia, over Tyree Wilson. I'm taking Nolan Smith for the Packers here. We're going to yeah. add him. That part I don't. Rashawn Gary with Preston Smith and just having a lot more flexibility now with my pass rush. Yeah, I mean, Nolan Smith over Tyree Wilson, I have no problem with. Uh, Nolan Smith over Dalton Kincaid for this team, I don't like it all. I know. I understand. So I mixed it up because we I think we gave them Kincaid a couple weeks ago. Um, trying to make a point here, I would take Nolan Smith, I think, in the in the top 15 here. He's coming off the injury, only played a couple hundred snaps the last couple of years. Uh, slightly undersized for an edge. He's in the 230s, but he ran the he ran a sub 4-4. Um, that's not the thing that's putting him over the top, though, for me. It's the on it's it's the pop in his hands, it's his ability to rush the passer, play the run. I think he'll be a beautiful compliment for Rashawn Gary. And, uh, and Preston Smith there. I think yeah. we could find a way to make them all work. It is interesting. He is like 10, 11 spots lower on the consensus board than Tyree Wilson. But I'm, I think I'm with you that I, would, I have more confidence in Nolan Smith being a good NFL player than I do in Tyree Wilson. Yeah, we'll, I think we're going to rank. So we, we did ask the people, what do they want us to rank? They, they said corners first and then edge defenders. We're not going to rank every position. We're not going to do a show on every position leading up to the draft. There was a recent request for running backs. I wouldn't hate a running back show for the fantasy people. I mean, I've, I've thrown out multiple polls now. Yeah. And every single time, the people do not want the running back show. They don't. It's, it's dead-ass last in the poll every time. It could be fun. Maybe it could be fun late in the process. But um, I would – I think Nolan Smith is – that's edge two, right? That's only the second edge off the, off the board. Yeah. 
I would call him edge two in this draft class. So that's the point I wanted to make there. Unofficially. Until later. Yeah. I have some more I have, I have more data points to add to the mix here. We still we're still waiting on the scouts. The scouting takes. Is the model does take into uh, account some scouting takes. Um that puts Washington up on the board. Now we'll go Utah tight end Dalton Kincaid mm. to Washington. So now we've got more threats. If we're going to build around Sam Howell, if that's what we're going to do, we're going to give him all the pass game options we can. <laughs> Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Logan Thomas is still there as my big tight end, and Dalton Kincaid is my move tight end. I bet build around Sam Howell was not a phrase you thought you'd be saying for a while. I said, once if, he, if he, that's what we're doing. Once he slipped to the fifth round of the draft. I didn't think we would. Yeah. No. Again, last year at this time, if I remember correctly, I think Howell was the guy I said, remember we did this, Detroit's going to trade back into the first, right? We did a lot of that. Detroit's yeah. going to trade back into 32 to pick a quarterback. I think I gave them Sam Howell, either my mock or one of the ones that we did. I don't think I ever had him doing that. I, had I them, think I had Howell as that late first I had guy. them doing that from Malik Willis couple of times yeah because they had that second pick right they were sitting there right. at 30 or 30 whatever it was 30 no 32 right because the Rams. yeah um so they had the 32nd pick of the draft i know multiple times i thought well if the 32nd pick of the draft for detroit having already drafted number two that feels like your classic house money free bet just throw a gamble and to me that was malik willis yeah so um where are we right now dalton kincaid with, uh, with all those playmakers in Washington, I think Kincaid's the best. He's the best receiving tight end in this draft. Feel best about him. I know a lot of people love this tight end class. I think he's the, he's the class of the tight end class. I just, I just pulled up the grinding the mocks chart for Sam Howell as well, and it never dropped below the top of the third round. It dropped, and it went from essentially number one overall, if you go back far enough, yeah. to the bottom of the first round, and then midway through the second round, but it never got anywhere near. <laughs> there literally isn't a single data point within a round of where he was drafted. Like, yeah, he was so good as a true freshman. He was good as a sophomore. He didn't like, throw the ball as well as a junior. That, you know, that scattershot plot of mocks all over the place, like there was That's for the entire process, there was not a single mock draft of any description that, had, that was within a round of where he ended up getting drafted. All right, let's go to pick 17. Pittsburgh Steelers are on the clock. Uh, the big debate in Pittsburgh, do they go tackle? Is there a corner? They did just bring in Patrick Peterson this offseason. You have Patrick Peterson with Akilah Witherspoon over there. Um, the corners, I think there's a bit of a drop-off here. I'd rather take some corners lower. I'm going to be lower on Deontay Banks from Maryland. He's currently fourth on the remaining <laughs> big board here. You've just been sending me video after video of him struggling shall we say was it banks uh oh yeah banks is the guy that got that got he toasted tackled. on a double move and just rugby tackle a dude yes yeah which yeah. to be honest is better than not rugby tackling him and giving up a touchdown on the double move but still not great that's one of those the announcers say smart play here i'm like right. well, the smarter play is to you know not bite the first time but it's okay um banks is an amazing mover he's he's un like unbelievable makeup speed i have a comp for him that I think you'll appreciate after you really dive into the tape for Banks. We'll save that okay. for Thursday. I have a Deontay Banks comp, um, but that comp and my film analysis and the data analysis on Banks makes me think I'd rather him in the second where corners, you know, only hit a quarter of the right. time. Where they're always of back. course. Um, so for the Steelers, I'm going somewhat. Uh, uh, Broderick Jones. I'm going to go the tackle from Georgia. Broderick Jones. I'm going to bring him in. 
let him compete left or right tackle, but I need to upgrade either of those spots, right? I think we talked on one of our recent shows, rank the Steelers offensive linemen, both tackles, Dan Moore and uh, Chukes, Okorafor, both were four and five on the list as mm-hmm. far. You know, the, the, the guards and centers are improved, but uh, I think Broderick Jones, still a young player for Georgia, hasn't played a ton of football. Last year was his first full year as a starter. I think Broderick Jones has a chance to be the, the next left tackle there. Yep. I don't love the tackle class, like I said. I don't feel great about these picks, but I'm forcing myself to make picks, so here we are. Absolutely. By the way, the, the Sam add the Sam Howell thing to the list of like why making declarative statements about the draft before it happens is idiotic. Like we had a year more of the process, quote unquote, with Sam Howell. And not one single mock draft was within a round of where he ended up getting drafted. So when you're throwing out there they on Twitter... They were within two rounds, three rounds. Well, really. I mean, most of them. But literally, there wasn't a single one yeah. within an entire round of where he was drafted. So when you're out there saying, this is terrible, this will never happen, we just don't know. Nobody Sam Howell knows. will never, never fall to the fifth yeah, round. Nobody knows. It'll never happen. Stuff that you think has no chance of happening ends up happening every single year. All right, the Lions are on the clock now at 18... Should they consider Will Levis? Yes. All my theories say yes. Um, I'm not going to go that route, though. So uh, would they consider Tyree Wilson? Tyree Wilson's still number two here on the big board. I would. I mean, I'd consider Tyree Wilson at this spot. Um, if, the, if the draft fell like this, as I've said before, though, again, nothing against Tyree Wilson. I could talk myself into him. I'm assuming some other team's going to take him, and I'm not going to, but I can't in this, uh, in this scenario. <laughs> Uh, Lucas Van Ness is on the board as well as the third player on the consensus board. And that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go Van Ness Hmm. from Iowa instead of Tyree Wilson. But I'm going to add another edge in name to to the Lions defensive front. That's now getting even more loaded after we saw Aiden Hutchinson last year, James Houston breakout. They got some other players there. Van Ness, though might be the best combination of inside-outside threat. And so now I've got a bit of a power rusher who can create some flexibility. Yeah, so they already drafted um, uh, Weatherspoon with uh, pick number six. Yeah, so, so I added a corner. Corner's already yeah. taken care of. They're not in that market at this spot. Your decisions are going to be, is Will Levis value here? Bearing in mind we passed on him at six, which probably plays into that. Um, defensive line, Tyree Wilson, Lucas Van Ness. Miles Murphy, there's options there. There's receiver options. You know, is Jordan Addison value at this point, even though their wide receiver room is good? They have, obviously, Amonris and Brown. I think those two can coexist in the same offense. I don't think there's redundancy there. They have Jamison Williams that we expect to be a big player for them. Like, they've got players. Is this, though, a spot where you think adding a player of lower value but a superstar at that position would make some sense so are michael mayer from tight end from notre dame or Bijan robinson options at 18 i would say Bijan, no um not just because my natural bias against running backs not Bijan. um just because david montgomery has come in to replace jamal williams as the future detroit lions all-time touchdown leader mm. and deandre swift single season single season of course um, DeAndre Swift as your pass catching back. So not so much Bijan. I Michael Mayer, yes. I mean, I'm I'm high enough on Mayer to take him, I think, anywhere in the twenties. So we're sitting here at 18. It's close. Might be a touch high for him. Um, 
I do feel like the Lions have done a good job making the Brock Wrights of the world into uh, impact tight ends. Dan Campbell, tight end creator over there tight in Detroit. But yeah, I do think that's an intriguing option. Just, you know, more more playmakers. I think Mayer, I think Mayer has a chance to be a Pat Fryermuth, just solid player who fell to Fryermuth fell to the second. I think Mayer will go a little bit higher, but will be a good player. So imagine how much fun Dan Campbell would have personally molding Michael Mayer into a plus all round tight end. He would love it. Yeah. Be great for morale everywhere. <laughs> All right. Like, you know when uh, when Mike Vrabel gets like in the trenches and starts teaching up the D linemen oh, yeah. by actually like blocking them. I told you the story before too. Like Mike Vrabel, not just in the trenches, like in the in the fights that they had in training camp, yeah, yeah. box breaking people up, helmets flying everywhere, and Vrabel's like, "Whatever, I'm mm-hmm. going in. <laughs> I'm going in." That's what I haven't fight. seen. I've I haven't had a good street fight in a while. Get me in there. All right. Speaking of the box, they're on the clock at pick nineteen. I think I saved Will Levis for them. There's Will Levis. I would take Will Levis here. I think for all the other needs that the Bucks have, taking a shot at quarterback here, I don't know if they'll be bad enough this year to pick in the top 10 um, to, to get involved in the Caleb Williams and Drake May sweepstakes next year or whoever else emerges. So Baker Mayfield was signed specifically as a bridge quarterback, right? Some of the other teams that I passed at quarterback, I don't think Garoppolo's a bridge. I think they, the Raiders think they're going to win with him. For a little bit, even you know, so the Bucks are the first team to come up who truly just signed a one-year bridge quarterback, Baker Mayfield, in declaring we still need somebody. So I'll go Will Levis here, and again, part of it's to like make the point. I think he's going to go lower, maybe than we anticipated. Yeah, so. I mean, this makes sense. Like at this point, it's value. Again, there are going to be other teams. I think if he slips this far that are going to be interested, like Minnesota, whoever. Like, there are teams, I think, that are going to be fascinated by Will Levis if he starts to slip to the bottom of the top 20. But if he does make it all the way to Tampa Bay, I mean, right now it's Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask in a two-man battle for the position. What that Like, why not add Will Levis? Like, if, none, if they all stink, nothing changed. We're yeah. fine. If, however, two of them stink and Will Levis ends up being good, we might actually have a future. All right, so I'm taking Levis. Let's take a shot here with the Bucks at 19. We've talked a lot about the quarterbacks. Go check our QB ranking show for more Will Levis analysis. Sam's a little higher on him than I am. Renner's higher on him than I am. Mm. Um, I could absolutely be wrong, but that's why you take that shot here in the first round. Um, on the first time, I, so the Seahawks are on the clock at 20. I would probably redo this pick if I could, but I'll tell you what I did initially. Um, we'll stick with it. This is where Tyree Wilson comes off the board. You for me. can't even bring yourself to draft him at twenty in retrospect. No, it's more that your suggestion for the Seahawks has been Jordan Addison mm. a lot of the time, and in hindsight, I like that. Okay. I like Jordan Addison. It's not a. It's not a Tyree. I need Tyree Wilson to fall and all this stuff. <laughs> I'm going to say my. Uh, I use the phrase uh, risk appetite quite a bit. Okay. My risk appetite is higher. I'm, I'm more likely to take risks maybe when I have two first-round picks, right, or when I have uh, more swings, right? So I'm going to take Tyree Wilson, and it's a, it's a home run shot, right? I'm, I'm taking a shot here. I'm pairing him with Jalen Carter. Yeah. We have a massive need on the defensive line in Seattle. And I know there's a couple like Daryl Taylor and Uchenna and Wosu, who's kind of a hybrid edge coverage type player. That's not going to keep me from drafting an edge. It's still a need in Seattle. I don't think Daryl Taylor is very good. So Tyree Wilson comes in 
and we'll see, right? Like I said, I can convince myself on tape using his last year that he could be a good pass rusher. The total body of work, though, does not project to a productive NFL player. Yeah, like, you know, we, we've talked before about how if you can push your grades into the 90s as an edge rusher, you've got a pretty decent chance of being a good NFL player. Uh, his grade never topped 75 overall. It never topped 80 as a pass rusher. His most recent season, the one that you would, like, hang your hat on as, oh, this is who he can be, was an 80 grade with 50 pressures. It's fine. It's not – it's a long way away from being dominant. Yeah. I'll probably uh, – let me just say this really quickly. I'll probably repeat it on the Edge show. And in my head, we'll do a show where we kind of, like, lay out all the, the reasons – uh, positive or negative from a data standpoint on some of these players. I, I did a little experiment with Wilson. Right now, in my model, 17th percentile. Historically. It's I'm, really low. To, like it's, it's at a point where zero players have hit. Right. right? Um, so I, in, that's because he doesn't have workout numbers in there, so I did an experiment. If I gave him Trayvon Walker's workout, <laughs> okay? So, so if you made him the most athletic edge rusher of all time, yeah. What does that do to his percentage? Let me, just, let me just do it again because I think he went up to like 40th percentile, God. which is where Walker was, right? Because Walker's workout was, was fantastic, right? It, did, it meant something. Yes. Um, but last year I was laying out the case against Walker being like, we've, depending on your perspective, we've never seen anyone work out like this, but we've also never seen anyone hit with Trayvon Walker's production. Right? Could he do it? Sure, absolutely. So yeah, he goes up. So I, I, I gave him Trayvon Walker's workout with uh, Tyree Wilson's arm length, which is spectacular. 35 plus inches, 84 inch wingspan. He goes up to 36th percentile oh. player. So that's my argument against Tyree Wilson. That's why I'm not trying to be harsh with like, don't draft list. I'm just saying, depending on your perspective here, my perspective is there is nobody from a data perspective let me just see, 36th percentile, I think there's one solid player that's come out over the last few years. So the data is not kind. If you come through the perspective of planet theory, there's nobody with this type of length, there's nobody with this type of movement, and this and that, and I don't think Ty- Tyree Wilson's not Trayvon Walker level No, athlete. Not even close, I don't think. So I was just doing that as an experiment. So nobody has become elite the other- historically at that percentile, and there has been two high-end players um four percent it's like a let's say this eight percent hit rate to become a solid player in that band under 40th percentile versus 38 percent hit rate so it goes from 38 percent hit rate if you take the top end right. of players in this in these ranges it goes down to eight percent if you take him in the bottom range. That's why I'm just saying I would just I just wouldn't do and it. And that's all giving him credit for being the most athletic edge rusher to ever enter the draft, which Correct. He isn't. Correct. So, yeah, that's not great. The other thing is for a guy that's like 270 plus pounds and that size and that length, he's not a particularly good run defender. Like he would be fourth, fifth in terms of run defense just amongst this edge rushing group. So, it, like even if you're like, okay, he's not maybe the most disruptive like he's not the elite pass rusher but he's going to bring this edge like this sets a hard edge be a dominant run defender nope like he's not he's not bringing that either no he gets moved like he's 230 sometimes like nolan smith in t- at 230, at 230 yeah. is a better run defender than tyree wilson at 270 mm-hmm. um 
question about what the sample size is. I got to see my like 80th percentile players I've had historically. I've got 18, 31, say almost 40 guys. Players under 40th percentile, we're looking at about 55 guys. Yeah. And so those are the those are the percentages. And another reminder, like a big part of what you're you got in this stuff is PFF grading, which is not just an algorithm or stats. It is tape derived data. Yeah, so that's why is, I think it's I think I think that's why it's useful, especially yeah, on offensive saying. and defensive right. line, right? It's, so it's it's a lot of data. It is it is tape. It's not just it's quantifying the tape. It's yeah. not just sort of, you know, pulling out a bunch of like you folded measurable data into this, right? But in addition to measurable data is tape-derived information that quantifies how good his tape actually is. Right. As opposed to just watching the tape and arbitrarily deciding, yeah, I like that. That was great. Like it's quantifying that tape and yes. folding it into a data model. I do my own tape study just to get like my own take on a player. That's why I said like Darnell Wright from Tennessee, I like him. I like him. My eyes like him. The data doesn't. The right. data, which is also derived from film, right? So those things will exist. With Tyree Wilson, I'm kind of like back and forth from just like my eyes standpoint, and I'm out from a data standpoint. But for this exercise, if this is what I'm left with, it's my second pick if I'm Seattle. More willing to maybe take that shot. I get it. I get why people like him. I also honestly think that the NFL is going to be lower on Tyree Wilson maybe than the consensus board has been so far. I could see that. All right, that brings us to the Chargers at 21. I went Jordan Addison here yes. for the Chargers. So, you know, they need – I keep saying all offseason, they need speed. They were one of the slowest teams last year if you look at the numbers. Mm -hmm. um, Addison's not a – he's not a 4-3 burner or anything, but the game speed is good. Yes, right, critically. Um, and now he's a, he's a different type of player than what they have with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Yep. And we're just trying to, to maximize Justin Herbert here. So give me Addison to the Chargers. Yes, very critically, Addison is a player whose tracked game speed is higher than his timed speed, which was not great, and vaguely surprisingly so. Um, also, like – when you look, this is 21 is a play is a one of those mock draft sweet spots where almost everybody has been giving them Zay Flowers every single draft, right? It's one of them. It must be one of the most common player position or player draft position and team combinations I've seen. I cannot get beyond the like. I think the consensus board actually has Zay Flowers above Jordan Addison now, which to me is just madness. Madness. Cannot understand that. I, I cannot get it. I don't get it. I really don't. I, whatever, I can see a world where I'm off on Zay Flowers to an extent. I really can't see one where, you know, it, it, it's all the, the bell curve and percentage chances the guy hit the, the high end, the mid end, the low end of his potential outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. Like the, the Venn diagram of Addison being amazing, Zay Flowers being amazing, which one, or not the Venn, like the two bell curves. I would be extremely surprised by an outcome that has Zay Flowers, on average, turning out a better NFL player than Jordan Addison. I just really can't get behind that one. we got to go back and think about those takes. There's one take that I remember from years ago, not to go on, but the Eagles chose Fletcher Cox over Dontari Poe. I think it was pick 12 versus 13, something like that. I remember at the time thinking... That's an interesting, like, you took this guy over that guy. Dontari Poe was Planet Theory. He was the first guy that ran sub-5 at 340 pounds. Yeah. Um, and they took Fletcher Cox. And it, it was just one of those pivot point-type moves that just stood out. We should think, we, just, we should 
try to remember all of those things, right? right. Jordan Addison versus A. Flowers, their career path and all that stuff. By the way, Fletcher Cox turned out much better than Dontari Poe. It was just one of those every year I think about would you take this player or that player? What's the you know, where's the debate? What's it gonna end up looking like? We should think back to Addison and Flowers for sure. Yeah. Um, I just I'd be amazed if Addison does not turn out a better player than Zay Flowers at the next level. This is another potential Bijan Robinson draft spot with Austin Eckler agitating for a move with yeah, pretty much nothing did. behind him. We did that a couple year uh, a couple drafts ago, I believe. But I like Addison. Give me a, a wide receiver three, move Josh Palmer down to wide receiver four, and then we're okay, right? I mean, that, I like that mm-hmm. as, a, as a receiving core there for the Chargers. Uh, brings the Ravens up at pick 22. I, to be honest, I actually didn't think about quarterback much here. Um, I don't know if the Ravens might be in the market to trade up now from 22. Are they going to try to make a move at quarterback? We don't know what they're going to do now with Lamar legitimately asking out. Yeah. Um, I feel like I always pick edge defenders for the Ravens. I don't love the options here. Just to repeat myself, I don't love the options here. But I'm going uh, Miles Murphy, the edge defender from Clemson. A power edge. Uh, they, all, they already have a whole bunch of different types of uh, types of pass rushers there in Baltimore. But uh, in a spot that I don't love, the next group of players here, maybe Zay Flowers is a good fit here. You know, a speed receiver that uh, I, I said Zay would be great in Kansas City. Maybe he'd be good in Baltimore, play-action guy. But I also I don't know what type of offense they're really going to be running here. Well, this is the spot. So this is like the pivot point of the wide receiver group. But certainly if you have a board that looks like ours, where um, to me it's a top three wide receivers. It's Addison, Smith and Jigba, and Quentin Johnson from TCU. If those three guys are gone, I think there's a gap between those three and the likes of Zay Flowers, which is why I don't understand I don't understand putting those two guys together, let alone ahead of, of Addison. But if those three guys are gone and your board looks like mine, you hate this spot if you need a wide receiver because you're like, I don't think Zay Flowers is worth, you know, pick number 22 in this draft. I like To me, he was the third of the smaller wide receivers, like the Josh Downs, the Tank Dells, but I don't love those guys at 22 either. Like, to me, there's a gap. Um, I would I, say, like, now I would take right here at pick 22 and beyond, I think everyone else I feel much better about taking in the second round. Yeah. From here on. Same. Uh, and, and this isn't like, is it a first-round grade? Is it a second round? I'm just saying all of these players going forward, if I had the pick, I would do everything I could to, to oh, move every, down to Every 32. player. Every available. player. Okay. Every player from here on out, I would rather take in the second round <laughs> here I mean, at pick 22. I certainly feel that way about the wide receivers. Um, no, I'm, take, I'm talking everybody. Yeah, everybody Maybe it available. started to pick 20. Including no, Bijan. Including Bijan. Wow. Yeah, I would rather take everyone else here in the second round. And that's not, like, this isn't an uncommon thing. Like I've, we've said before, like, in draft rooms, teams have 15 first-round grades or whatever it is. Doesn't mean they're not going to pick at pick 25. It just means they have 15 first-round grades on players. And chances are they're going to get one of their 15 to drop because it's a different 15 from everyone else. I have made every pick so far. So, I'm you know, my board's getting stretched thin here because it's all my picks. Mm. None of my players have fallen. Because I picked them all already. So that's it's the challenge in mock drafting. So I would go I will, second round for all these guys going forward here. Okay. Including the Vikings at pick 20. I don't have a great explanation for Miles Murphy to the <laughs> Ravens. I think he's a – I think he's – honestly, I think he's up there with Tyree Wilson as a prospect. He's a power edge. I think adding that power to Adafi Owe, Tyus Bowser – and David Ajabu, that's actually a completely different type. They've had Justin Houston there the last couple of years. They've made all that work. I think there's enough 
pass rush snaps to go around. Miles Murphy's a very good edge defender. I think he probably steals some early down snaps, uh, maybe from Owe. Makes Owe more of a designated pass rush type. So there is a way to fit him into that Ravens defense. Okay. There you go. Uh, Vikings at 23. You talked about the receivers. Uh, number four. Did I have Tank Dell? I might need to redo the Tank Dell thing with his size. I think I had Josh Downs as my four, didn't I? I'm going Josh Downs. Can't remember what yours was. I think he was my fourth receiver. That's why I went with him here. I'm going Josh Downs to the Vikings at pick 23. So now you're going to start seeing some picks from me where you're seeing them mostly go in the second. A lot of these guys are going in the second round, and I'm going to put them in the first. I'm going to have some different picks here. I hope you went against your own draft board. That would be great. No, Josh Downs. Data <laughs> likes him. I like, I like him on film. Those mesh. My eyes and the data say yes. Mm-hmm. to Josh Downs. And there's your Justin Jefferson compliment. There's your Adam Thielen replacement. He's an outside receiver. I've seen the Tyler Lockett type of comps. I think he's not that exact player, but he's that type. So I like Downs here. Yeah, Vikings. short, speedy receiver who was one of the best contested catch receivers of in, in the nation. Like he's been exceptionally good at that kind of stuff. So he isn't he doesn't play as pro as much as a small receiver as some of the other guys. Um I liked him better than Zay Flowers. Now, I like, I like Tank Dell better than him, but don't hate this pick. So there you go. Downs goes 23 to the Vikings. That puts the Jags up at pick 24. I hated this spot for the Jags as well. Um, I, think they have, I think they have a tackle need after losing Juwan Taylor. Walker Littles scheduled to step in at right tackle opposite Cam Robinson. I think I need more insurance there mm-hmm. on the offensive line. So this is where I go, I go Anton Harrison from Oklahoma he's he's at 23 on the consensus board so it's right around where the consensus has him I said again I don't love the tackle class but I think a lot of these guys are solid they're in the I would probably draft him in the 20s type of range so Harrison there he's been a better pass protector than run blocker but I'm going to bring him in and let him compete at right tackle with Walker Little yeah I think offensive line is they're basically looking at the trenches I think both sides uh, at this kind of draft spot which is to be honest where most of the value is so Harrison makes sense. Interior is Osiris Tarns, an option this this high in the draft. He seems to be slipping the longer into this process we get, just generally. Yeah, he's interesting. Um, when you look at, uh, I'm, I'll I'll have Osiris Torrance going later in the first round here. When you look, we'll, we'll talk about him when we get there. But his numbers were not great from a workout standpoint, but it's still I think good enough to draft. There's a lot of just big guards historically like Torrance, that have had success. I'm not too worried about him from a workout standpoint, but I think that's a big reason why he may have fallen to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes So the Giants are up now at 25. I haven't done a reset this entire show, but look, we got like 13 minutes left here. So <laughs> follow along on YouTube. The Here's what the consensus board has now. The Giants are at 25. The consensus board says Deontay Banks, corner from Maryland, is still available. Brian mm-hmm. Brissy, the uh, defensive tackle from Clemson. Zay Flowers, receiver BC. B. John Robinson, the running back from Texas. Michael Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame. That's the top five on the consensus board right now. For the Giants, they're interesting because they already have just a bunch of small, speedy receiver types, yeah. right? Give and that's heat. what's left. Yeah. So... I feel like they might be in the second round. Michael Wilson sweepstakes or uh, Bryce Ford Wheaton. You're a guy that picked later in the draft just to get some bigger bodies there. Because their current receiving core is Paris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, Wandell Robinson, yeah. Jamison Crowder. So like adding a Zay Flowers to that, are you just trying to forget building a basketball team? You're building the ice hockey team of all the skinny guys. 
right? Ice hockey, the four on four game, and Nintendo, you're picking all the skinnies. Hmm? You, had, you had Nintendo in Ireland, right? Yeah. Yeah. The the Giants are building their receiving core like you would in ice hockey, where you could pick the you could pick the medium guy, the fat guy, or the skinny guys. They're picking all the skinny guys. Okay. I don't want another skinny guy. No. Yeah, I mean, shout in the chat if you at least get my reference. Sam's looking at me like I'm an idiot. I just played this game recently with my buddy, by the way. He had okay. this little throwback and playing uh, playing ice hockey. Yeah. Crushed him. USA killed him. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, I don't. So I, I'm not going to go overseas. I mean, I don't understand quite how Zay Flowers would fit into this offense and not have some form of redundancy. So yeah, I would. They would love a bigger bodied receiver to be available here, but there really aren't any. So I'm scrolling down the draft board. Uh, Tyler, you're going to have to scroll down a little bit. I don't even know where he is left here on the um, – You have to scroll quite a bit. You can sort by interior offensive line. Keep scrolling. Oh, number 68 on the consensus board. This is where I'm going. When you have to click to page two, you know you might be reaching. John Michael Schmitz, center, Minnesota. I'm taking him for the Giants. I think John, John Michael Schmitz is a prospect at a similar level. He's a, probably a tick below Tyler Linderbaum from last year. He's a tick below Creed Humphrey, who did go in the second round when it picked 60 or whatever it was. So maybe John Michael Schmitz's value is correct by the consensus board. 45th on the consensus board, which puts him, by the way, one spot ahead of Josh Downs. Oh, is he? I see, I see him at 68th on this public board right now that we're using, the one we're using in the mock draft sim. You okay. have him a little bit higher? I mean, I'm using, yeah, I typed in consensus board into Google, and that's what I'm using. Okay, so he's a little bit higher in the other consensus board that's being used. We've got a couple different ones here. So John Michael Schmitz, reasoning here is, I think he's the best interior offensive line prospect, a tick above Osiris Torrance. He's playing a different position. He's playing center. It's a huge need for the Giants. I think you're getting your hashtag 10-year starter at center. Um, the only knock on... John Michael Schmitz compared to Creed Humphrey and compared to Tyler Linderbaum is the workout stuff. Uh, it is... Yeah, athleticism. It is terrible. Um, <laughs> you know who else was terrible from a workout standpoint? From a center standpoint? Travis Frederick was also terrible. Really? Right? And then you get out there and you watch... Remember he ran like a 5.5 five or something like that and you watch Travis Frederick execute a reach block? Hmm. He was the outside zone standard at center for years for the Cowboys, and he was so fast off the ball. You watch John Michael Schmitz, who was the highest-graded offensive lineman at the Senior Bowl, and you watch him execute an outside zone block and get into space, his athleticism is just fine for playing football. So he is a 99th percentile production uh, center, or interior offensive lineman in my model. The combine number isn't there, but he's still a 90th percentile player for me and um, one of the highest-graded centers. Yeah, Frederick's numbers stank. They absolutely third, stink. Third percentile for 40 and the 20-yard split. Look Ten, up Travis Frederick while you're there. That's what I'm – sorry, that's where I'm Fre – Frederick is Frederick. Right. Frederick. Oh, Frederick. Yeah, they stink. Eighth percentile 10-yard split. Yep. Uh, 18th percentile broad jump. The, the things that he was best at were the vertical, which is only a 54th percentile, and the three-cone, which, you know, you think, oh, that's more important. But that was only the 38th – like, terrible. 38th percentile for the thing he so, was best at from a movement standpoint. You, you've cited RAS, the relative athletic score. Yes. And I, I, think it's, I think it's people need to know how to use these things, right? And that's why, that's why I have a draft model, right? Because it factors all of those things in, right? And you go in and say, okay, production matters and athleticism matters. But how much? It varies from center 
versus a corner versus a receiver. Athleticism matters for edges. It matters for corners, right? Not in a linear fashion, but it just matters. You want to be above certain thresholds. For offensive linemen, the data is pretty strong here. Those numbers don't matter, and you just cited terrible workout numbers for the guy that was the best center in the league for about eight to ten years, Travis Frederick, John Michael Schmitz is similar. I will tell you, using that uh, Ben Robinson grinding the mock site again, there are some mocks that have John Michael Schmitz reasonably far into the first round. So Get me know, in there. It's not crazy. So There's also two, by the way, that are dubbed fan ones, which I can only assume are errors or, or drug-induced hazes of some kind that have him what appeared to be quite far into the, the top ten. Oh, those are fun. Yeah. You never know. Which would seem to be crazy to me. Yeah, but people, I mean, look, it's just but people play around and make up I mean, stuff. Sam Howell, you know, never say never. Who never knows? say never. Maybe there's a team out there that has John Michael Schmitz as number five on their board, and we'll take him there. And like I said with all these, I would rather take all these players in the second round. I would rather trade down. If I'm forced to pick and all my favorite players are gone, my 25th pick, John Michael Schmitz to the Giants. Uh, Cowboys up at pick 26. Uh-huh. I'm going Michael Mayer. Stop I've, it. I've done this a couple times. What do you mean stop? Why do you hate Michael Mayer so Because there's not a chance in hell that Dallas would pass on Bijan Robinson at pick number 26. Zero chance. None. If I was in, in the In the declarative world of never say never, they would never do that. In, in my world, they would. Steve Palazzolo would draft a tight end over Bijan. Absolutely. <sighs> That's disgusting. Absolutely, because Michael Mayer adding him to the mix now with Brandon Cooks and C.D. Lamb? Yes. What does that do? He's an upgrade. He's better than Dalton Schultz. He'll be better than Dalton Schultz pretty quickly at Will tight he? end as a pass catcher. Dalton Absolutely. Schultz is pretty good. No, he's not. He's a good number four option in a team that had good threes, good top three. How do you know Mayer is going to be better than that? I'm projecting him as being good. <laughs> Why are you so low on Mayer? Let's see. Let's see. What the- <laughs> I don't think he's that good. Let's see what the draft model says on, on him. Let's. Let's see what the model says. 82nd percentile. Okay. Will draft. Uh, combine stuff does matter for Mayer. He did not test well there. I've got him as a 60th percentile combine guy, but he's over 80th in, in production. So it, uh, it weighs the value of those things and says, boom, 80, 82nd percentile. Okay. The hit rate's pretty strong at tight end. All right. Trust in the data. The data doesn't like Luke, Luke Musgrave, for instance, despite a pretty good combine. Uh-huh. It randomly like Sam Laporta. Sam Laporta is leapfrogging some dudes with an awesome combine. <laughs> so it's weighing things properly here. Uh-huh. Um, there's a couple guys later that I like. I like Michael Mayer here, though. Okay. He's an option for the Cowboys. Complimentary. He's gonna. He's a stretch-the-seam, contested catch guy, and he's going to be a nice number three option in the pass game for the Cowboys. All right. Let's go off the rails a little bit here again for the Bills. Uh-oh. Sometimes I cheat, and I like good fits. Ready? Mm-hmm. The Bills at number 27 are going Iowa linebacker Jack Campbell. The best linebacker in the draft wow. is Jack Campbell from Iowa. 6'5". And uh, look up his workout numbers if you can. I don't know what you're looking up right now, but Jack Campbell, where's he on the big board? Do you find him? Well, that's you what I was him. looking up is his mock draft profile, which is skyrocketing right now. It's headed upwards from admittedly the – It's going to go even further the once bottom. Ben puts my mock into – he can put mine into his data. Sure. Which is fine. Don't put me in the pre- uh, predicting the mock draft no. contest, though. Yeah. I will come in last. I will purposely come in last because I'm doing what I would do. Jack Campbell is going to be your uh, Tremaine Edmonds replacement – in the middle of that defense, 
he's a good good compliment to Matt Milano there. Mm. He's a monster at six foot five. Yeah, he moves well. Um, he definitely looks like he can get exploited against some shiftier running backs, but you know who doesn't? Um, but I'm talking tackling, run game, zone instincts, zone feel. He had an incredible pick six last year where he's weaving through the defense. Um, he's just a good overall football player. And I think in a there's a draft, all these linebackers, the description for like the other five linebackers are like really fast and not very good, just unpolished and, and, players. And skinny. And skinny or whatever. And Jack Campbell's old school throwback, 6'5", yes. moves well enough and plays the game really well. He's the best linebacker in the draft. He is, yeah, like if, you, if you're a – if you're an NFL coach that's kind of quietly lamenting the way the modern game has gone with these smaller, faster dudes that don't like contact and aren't going to stick their nose in, you know, like if you're that kind of guy, you are going to be in love with what is effectively an old school prototype throwback of 6'5", 250 with speed, who can move. He's above the 50th percentile in every every athletic measurable. His The only thing he's not above the 50th percentile in his arm length but like 40 yard dash was 61st percentile and that's the lowest other thing he has 10 yard split was 73rd short shuttle was uh short shuttle 74th three cone 96th percentile broad jump 96th percentile so freakish athlete in addition to being prototypical size and shape. What was his three cone? Six, seven, four? Six, seven, four, which is the 96th percentile and amongst his... linebackers. And that's all linebackers. So like yes. the guys that weigh 210 pounds, that, that's putting a 250-pound dude up against those guys and saying he's still the 96th percentile. And was he 6'4 or 6'5 at the combine? Five. So he's 6'5. I had to look in the database just just for players who were 6'4 with a uh, sub 6'8 um, shuttle. Or three cone, and um, only one guy appeared. That guy Brian Peters, that I didn't even know existed for the uh, Texans from the Brian Cushing era, right? Who looked like, uh, just say he looked like a strength coach who would. Uh, I don't want to accuse anybody, so I'm just gonna say he had a look, and he was the only guy who was that height he with a three like a cone, coach. and he just never played football. Yeah, he looked like a strength coach. He looked, looked like, like a, a guy coach. who liked to work out. A strength coach who may have dabbled in some supplements. You know? that's, what and was, that's what I was going to say. He happened to be in a linebacking core alongside Brian Cushing. Who did dabble with substances. Yeah, <laughs> with, with some, with with some, some stuff. supplements. With supplements. Yeah. So who knows what was happening there. So uh, I'm just saying, Jack Campbell, who looks all natural, is, com- <laughs> is comped to uh, random people in the database who, you know. But his, his grinding the mock thing is skyrocketing. We're, head- we're seeing multiple now expert multiple expert mocks put him in the first round and so did i that being said there's three of them like dot 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 in a line which may be the same expert doing it repeatedly but who knows it's possible all right that brings up the bengals at pick 28 and uh i actually considered sam laporte sam laporta really tight end that's too high though I, i can't do that at this spot um i know a lot of people want to give the bengals a tight end a nice middle of the field option with Jamar Chase and I've seen people T. giving Higgins. them uh, Washington, Darnell Washington, yeah. as the Uber run block. I just want all those guys in the second round. I like Washington. I would take Washington. I just don't want to do it. Here. Washington the first to me seems kind of crazy. Yeah, um, I think there's probably a case for some of those edge defenders that everybody seems to be throwing at Kansas City. I think there's a play yeah. to be made here to to add more depth there and some Trey Hendricks Hendrickson insurance. There's not a lot of edges that I really love right now though um the pick that i've been giving them for a while though dewan jones the big right tackle from ohio state 
in part because you root for the funny. So Dewan Jones and Orlando Brown get to be on the same offensive line. Hugely funny. Yes. And uh, now that spot, the, you know, we're just continuing to shore up the offensive line that had depth issues last year, and I don't think we can attack it too much in yeah. Cincinnati. I've always kind of wondered how useful it is having a sort of direct comp on your roster that can kind of teach you the tricks of being a giant fat dude who, you know, has to— Just giant. I mean, he's fat as well. Come on. It's, it's not heavy. It's not heavy. words. They're dense. Well, they're they're deliberately carrying some fat. Joe Thomas was carrying fat, and then he lost it all once he didn't have to play football anymore. And now he's like a rail. I'm carrying a lot of fat these days for different reasons. Yes, I'm just saying it's not you know it's not unreasonable. But anyway, like can Orlando Brown like show him some tricks of the trade, or is that just complete fabrication? No, I think you could. Um, I like Dewan Jones here. Uh, the lack of workout numbers hurt my uh, my data a little bit. I think I have to have to, you know, project some things in there. I was uh, Orlando Brown was also interesting. Interestingly enough, the model really was was in on Orlando Brown despite the combine, despite the catastrophic. Yes. He was he was 80th percentile plus. I was talking to the boss Chris Collinsworth earlier in the other day in the office. What's your name dropping? He was saying that he really likes Dewan Jones to the point where he thinks he could play left tackle. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen in Cincinnati because you signed Orlando Brown. What does but, that even mean? What well, I mean, mean, like, so he's being seen as like that classic right tackle only, you know, yeah. giant behemoth who can play right tackle and be fine. But like, he thinks you could draft that guy, kick him over to left tackle, and have have your next Brian McKinney or whatever. Of course, you can. It's the same position, left and right tackle. It's different footwork, and as long as you can take pick up the footwork, it's the same skill set. Orlando Brown just did it. He just went from right tackle. He to was left a left tackle. tackle in college, right? True. Um, the risk here, though, is when you take a guy that has been a right tackle and just assuming the footwork. I mean, yeah, I would keep Dewan Jones at right tackle. That is a compliment, though, the way Chris is using it. Right? Mm. He likes Dewan Jones. So yes, it makes me feel better. The boss is in on Dewan Jones as well. All right, Saints are up at twenty-nine again. Top players available: Deontay Banks, the corner from Maryland; Brian Brissy, the defensive tackle from Clemson; Zay Flowers, Boston College. Receiver, Bijan Robinson, the running back from Texas, and Will McDonald now in the top five uh, by the public board. Uh, Will McDonald, the edge from Iowa State. I go off the rails a little bit here, too. I didn't love my Saints options, so I go a little bit further down the board and Emmanuel Forbes, the cornerback from Mississippi State. He's, uh, he weighs in the 160s. Yeah. Um, so if you're, I don't think Cameron Dantzler has been bad since playing, but he's your most recent Sub 170, right? Uh, pounder. He's not been good. Yeah, he's been okay. Forbes is a playmaker, though. He is tenacious. Like for he plays above his weight. He knows he has to. He is a playmaker on the ball. I think Emmanuel Forbes in this cornerback class. Again, I'm taking him over Deontay Banks, who uh, I love as an athlete, and you see the athleticism from Banks on the field for Maryland. I'm taking Forbes over Banks, though. At corner, and I think uh, Forbes uh, Forbes comes in, competes opposite Marshawn Lattimore, where they're not really locked in to Paulson Adebo or Bradley Roby there. Were you at all concerned by his uh, profile picture where he kind of looks like a 45-year-old guy who's seen some shit? Yeah, yeah. I was a little concerned. You did send that to me. Is that <laughs> There it is. Look on the screen. Yeah. Is this going to be our next Mike McGlinchey? I mean, Maybe. Like, that guy looks like he's been through some stuff, you know? What does, how old is he officially? <laughs> he's probably not 42, which is what he looks like. You know, I always tell the story. My old uh, teammate came from the Dominican, 
And uh, when he came over, his name was uh, LV Perez. And he was 17. And then one day, he became 22. And he became a different name. Became Olmo. He lied about his age. He said. Yeah. Um, so, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's some of that. Well, I, 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 there's a guy that Lazio. We got him at 22. 22 years old. Yeah. yeah. There's this kid that Lazio had who was, I forget where he was from, but some, he was African of some kind, and they signed him at 17, and his profile picture looked a lot like that, and people flat out refused to believe that he wasn't like 40 years old, and to the point where I think Lazio had to like dive in and find birth certificates and stuff and like prove that this 17-year-old was in fact a teenager, not a dude who was 35 on hard times and just somehow talked his way into a you know, youth training system and signing for an Italian soccer team. Absolutely amazing. So I'm going to go Forbes here. I mean, I think they could go defensive line, maybe the, the Will McDonald's or Felix Andike Uzama. I think they could go that route. I value corner a little bit more. I know they brought in Alante Taylor last year. I don't love Taylor. I think Taylor could play slot a little bit more anyway than play outside. So I'm taking the shot here. I like to draft in volume mm-hmm. at corner anyway. So uh, Eagles are up. Two more picks. Pick 30, this is where I'm going to go. Did I think about Bijan here? Yeah. You better thought about Bijan I thought about Bijan here. I thought about it, but I'm not doing it. I'm going to Cyrus Torrance. So I'm taking the guard here for the Eagles. Here's one where... Step in and and start. So, you know, we we talked a lot about this. Like when you're talking about drafting a running back in the first round, number one, contract. Well, what are we, 30? Pick number 30, contract is peanuts. Uh, Number two... It's opportunity cost. And in this instance, your opportunity cost is bringing in a guard to probably start, but maybe not. Like they could theoretically kick out. Um, Cam Jurgens. Yeah, to, to play guard in, a, in the way they did with Landon Dickerson, who was a center and then kicked out to play guard while they were killing time waiting for uh, Jason Kelsey to retire. So theoretically, the guy might not even start. But even if he does, number one, is he going to be good right away? The last, you know, giant interior guard was Kenyon Green by the Texans, who didn't exactly play very well. Uh, but even if he does, like, this is one where I think you can actually make a case that Bijan, as a running back, moves the needle more than the guard to come in and keep an offensive line in, a, in the best offensive line in the NFL kind of spot. So I will agree. First off, uh, Kenyon Green... Why did he not work out? 50th percentile in the model. Um, Osiris Torrance is 80th percentile. He okay. rates pretty solid for, uh, for guards and centers here. Um, so there's only like two or three that I feel good about on the interior of the offensive line. I don't think the rest of the guards look great. I think the power that Osiris Torrance brings to the table fits the Eagles really well. And then I'll say to your point about B. John Robinson, as I've said many times here, it is attractive to me taking the best running back and putting him in an offense with a running quarterback. I do think, we, we talk about force multipliers a mm-hmm. lot, right? Where Tyreek Hill, is he a great receiver in isolation? Yes, but also the gravity that he brings as a deep threat, the account, you know, accounting for him defensively, all of that stuff makes him probably way more valuable even than however we parse it out numbers-wise. When Derrick Henry was a free agent and I said, I'm okay if the Ravens go get him, That's, is there a tipping point there where if you do put a top five caliber running back with Lamar Jackson, with Jalen Hurts, with whichever running back or whichever running quarterback you have, with Anthony Richardson, do you actually double your benefit basically? Yeah. Um, 
I don't know for sure, but I'm intrigued by that. This is, worth, it works both ways, right? Like Jalen Hurts in the running game with a really good uh, offensive line, you could say that's going to create any running back. That's going to create production out of anybody. At the same time, if you put a good running back there, are you talking about Bijan's going to average six yards per pop, right? He's going to average six yards per carry. And when we talk about defenses accounting, how do you defeat blocks up front and account for Jalen Hurts and account for Bijan Robinson? You can at least have that discussion. And I think, yeah, I, I think he will. Like the, I think you, if you draft a running back high in the draft and expect him to fix your running game, it's not going to happen. We saw that with Na- Najee Harris. Like if you had a bad running game and you're like, well, Bijan's the best running back prospect we've seen come along since Adrian Peterson, he's going to come in here and transform everything. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. It really isn't. Like if your offensive line stinks, Bijan is not going to crush it. He's not going to dominate. However, if you already have the best offensive line in the NFL with a rushing threat at quarterback and an offense generally that is cooking on gas, I do believe that the difference between Bijan Robinson and another random running back is significant. Like the fact that he is potentially the best prospect to come along since Adrian Peterson makes that more valuable in a system that's already humming than it would be somewhere else. And I think it probably moves the needle more than just bringing in another starting guard who might not even be good right away, like might struggle. My data says otherwise. Okay, but, but whatever. I'm just kidding. Whether he's good, bad, or indifferent, saying. like I'm not sure it moves the needle better than the guard or better than the running back. And I think you can definitely construct an argument that it makes sense. The opportunity cost makes more sense for them to go a different position at 10. Like I don't think they draft him at 10. I don't think they will. And I don't think they should. At 30, though, I think it's pretty difficult to construct an argument that they don't draft Bijan at 30, particularly if the alternative is a guard. With two picks, again, I'm, I'm more likely to, to take those chances. Really quick, though, not to – we'll finish this in five minutes, right? A couple years ago, the Chiefs draft Clyde Edwards-Alaire, yeah. right? And what happens with the running back stuff, other than, say, the Steelers, right? They draft Najee Harris, and we're just like, come on, man. Like, you don't have a good offensive line. That's not going to work. It hasn't really worked out, even though Najee's very good. With Clyde Edwards-Alaire, we started convincing ourselves. All right, they already have Tyreek Hill. They have Travis Kelsey. Sure. They got all these weapons. Now you're adding a, a pass game weapon, right? And he'll run it, and he'll be a little bit better than what they have at running back as a runner, and a little bit better than what they have at running back as a receiver. And uh, everybody in Kansas City thinks he's the next Brian Westbrook, who is an awesome pass-catching running back for the Eagles for Andy Reid. And we're all talking ourselves into why it's a fit. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, it's like, He's third on the depth chart. Uh, Jarek McKinnon's been more productive than him. Seventh rounder Isaiah Pacheco's been more productive than him. And what you thought was a marginal improvement didn't really matter because the catalyst to that entire offense is not the running back, right? Is that a different argument than the Eagles? The catalyst for their offense is not the running back, right? They are the afterthought. They're just creating production because the offensive line and their receivers and Jalen Hurts Make it all work. That is the risk associated with this. Even though you talk yourself into it and Bijan's going to average six per carry and he's adding something that Miles Sanders didn't have, is that marginal improvement worth it compared to the other places where you can improve your roster? That's the debate here, I think, for the running back stuff. I think it's a different argument for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think generally we now tend to do that for the Chiefs in the same way that people used to do it for the Patriots. 
It's like, oh, you start projecting this guy's optimum scenario because suddenly he's gone to New England where the Patriots' way is taking these guys that are nobodies and turning them into superstars based off asking them to do the things they do well, not asking them to do the things they do badly. And so every player that New England signs, like, oh, this is going to be, like, this is just cheating. How do they keep doing this? Blah, blah, blah. I think we've reached that point now where any offensive player that the Chiefs sign, that's the narrative, right? They're going to turn... Uh, Kadarius Tony into the next, you know, whoever. Like, this is all crazy. Ah, New Copkins is going to go there. Everybody they sign, this is the story. And I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire, we lost the run of ourselves a little bit projecting what he could be within that offense. Um, number two, he never really was that guy, even in college, you know, as particularly as a receiver. Like, his running was pretty good, but. I think we projected a lot what he could be as a receiver in this offense based off a few plays here or there, whereas actually his overall grading, even as a receiver, wasn't particularly good at LSU. Uh, and then number three, I mean, he just isn't the prospect that Bijan is. Like, never was. Like, they were not in the same realm of potential ability coming into the NFL. Bijan, at the very minimum, is right there with Saquon Barkley and Zeke Elliott and maybe even better than that and going back to Adrian Peterson in 2007. So you're talking about like literally the best running back we've seen enter the draft in, in 15 years. Yeah. Being plugged into an offense that's already the most running back friendly environment maybe in the NFL. Like what does that value add on you, top of that? You can convince me of him maybe here. Um, I'm still coming of, of the mind that I, I love Bijan. He's great. I would rather have someone else. I'd rather let someone else take that guy right now so you can convince me maybe for the eagles at 30 all right wrapping it up chiefs are on the clock pick 31 i'm going zay flowers here mm. so i'm going to take my seventh receiver on the board i'm going to let him <laughs> leapfrog some other guys because as i said on the receiver show i like zay flowers for the chiefs and you're only I think, taking him fifth so it's not yeah it's he's not my egregious. fifth receiver it's not crazy but i love his ability in space in an offense that's going to create space for him are the chiefs cheat code absolutely um, and because I clicked that, uh, there's the final. I don't get to list all the other guys that are. I can give you them. Deontay Banks, Brian Brzee, Bijan, uh, Will, Ro- Will McDonald, sorry, Tanner, <laughs> Tanner McKee. Has yeah, he... I, as I realized, I think there might be a bug. Yeah. I think it's only using the PFF board here instead of the public board. Has Renner, board. like, broken the no, data? No, that's, that's not the public board. That's He's not 32nd on the public board. No, 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 that's what I mean. Is he, like, somehow infiltrated the back end of the mock draft sim just to ensure that Tanner McKee is always there? His Tanner McKee love has gotten to the point where he is uh, hacking our system. Mm. And then it's a bunch more of the defensive linemen. Uh, Mozzie Smith, the interior defensive lineman from Michigan, B.J. Ojolari, Felix Anadike Uzama, uh, some of the linebackers, blah, 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 et cetera. Yeah, so I took some players that probably should go in the second, but I think the remaining players, Deontay Banks probably goes in the first for Maryland, right? Brissy, I don't know if I'm convinced he's definitely a first rounder. Um, I don't love it. I don't love the the group here. It's not that I don't love. I, ju- I just think they're clustered, right? I mean, the, the whole the whole draft. This happens a lot, right? Picks 15 through 50. Mm-hmm. Is there really a big difference between them? Not really. So, so that's my mock. Mock it all you want, but um, that's oh, what I would do. Will. Given the circumstances I was placed in here today. The people, well, you placed yourself in those circumstances. I did, which made it really tough. You're the architect of your own demise. Yeah, when I'm picking at 30, it's like, man, there's 29 other players that I would prefer that are already off the board. It's not usually like that. There's, you know, only 20 or so that you would have preferred in real life. So that's it. Steve's mock. 
if I was the GM. Um, I don't know if this is good or bad, but Walt agrees. Walt, Walt thought it was a good mock for a while. He <laughs> for agreed a while, with some yeah. of the picks. You wrote yourself. So uh, it's never good. Shaky at the end. Anyway, this was a lot of fun. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. It's Mock Draft Monday. We'll get you doing one. We'll do a fan one again. So we've got, yeah, we have three more after this? Yeah, I think so. Three more mocks, one of which will be a live kind of chat box mock. I think we should do alternate picks. But email us in suggestions as well. We'll okay. come up with some stuff. If you think if you can come up with something you think we should do from a mock draft standpoint for the two more that will be remaining outside of things that are going to happen, email us in, nflpodcast at pff.com. Let us know what type of mock we should do. There's only two more of these. All right. So I think, uh, yeah, we'll talk about those. Uh, so a couple more mock drafts. And uh, this week, you'll have Renner here Tuesday and Friday. Mm -hmm. I'll be back Wednesday. We'll have Jim Nagy on the show. And then Thursday, we'll do some cornerback rankings. It's a big week here on the PFF NFL Podcast. Yep. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow and the rest of the week.